Hello, and welcome back to our Halloween franchise deep dive. If you're with us on the first hand, we went all the way from the John Carpenter classic up until Halloween 6, The Curse of Michael Myers. So continue with us here as me and Josh from Victims and Villains dive in from Jamie Lee Curtis's return, Halloween H2O, all the way to Jamie Lee Curtis's return in Halloween. Yeah, it's confusing, but we're going to get right into it. Tell the sheriff I shot him. Is this some kind of joke? I've been trick-or-treated to death tonight. You don't know what death is. guys we're moving on to halloween h2o from 1998 this is written by robert zappia and matt greenberg directed by steve minor and starring jamie lee curtis never thought we'd hear those words again josh hartnett michelle williams and adam arkin with chris duran portraying the shape now this movie picks up 20 years after the events of halloween one and two while ignoring the rest of the sequels and Halloween H2O follows Laurie Strode, now living as Carrie Tate, as she tries to live her life in California while raising her teenage son Josh as a trauma survivor, living in fear that Michael might one day return. So yeah, we, we talked about it before with the branch and timelines. This is the first time we see them just go, yep, none of those sequels ever happened. We're going back to the roots. Which is interesting, to, to say the least, because like originally, I don't know if you knew this or not, but originally in the draft for this one, they were going to very minorly intertwine four, five, and six. Yeah. To where, like, and they, they kind of set it up to where, like, she's revealing her story to her boyfriend. And she's like, yeah, so uh, I faked my own death. And uh, then I came out to California and reinvented myself as Karen, Carrie Tate. And I think you miss a, a huge opportunity to, like, even even a line to acknowledge what we've been through over the last 10 years would have been awesome, but they just completely start from scratch. And this one, it's, it's really interesting. Yeah. I'm, I'm a little torn on it too, because I'm a sucker for continuity. I really like when franchises like take the effort to try and make everything work together. But I will also admit like by the time six comes around and again, most people haven't seen the producer's cut it's such a mess and there's so much magic intertwined now in this story when it never started off that way. I do get the urge to want to just strip it back down yeah. and kind of like, it's hard to honor the original when you're dealing with cults and magics and runes and you can stop Michael Myers by putting rocks on the floor in a certain formation. And so I'm not, I'm not really against it. And also it would kind of be hard to justify. It would be e it would be hard for me to root for Lori knowing that she knew Jamie was out there and all that was happening to Jamie and she just didn't give a shit that she had a daughter that she abandoned so she can keep herself safe and start a new life. You know what I mean? I would have been I wouldn't have been on her team as much. 
Now that's a, that's a fair point. Like, what gives like Josh Hartnett's character like more value as an as an offspring over Jamie? Jamie exactly. Yeah. Like, I would have just been like, wow. Like, even if you didn't know she was like, like you had to have heard about something that Michael was killing again, or you know, it would have been in the news. You know, it, it, this film it takes it into some some pretty interesting um, directions. I will also start to say that this is another reactionary making of movie. Yes. Um, to where Kevin Williamson, the writer of Scream Great. and The Faculty, came out and like he was hired as like one of the guys that like worked on this script, but like doesn't get like final credit yep, or whatever. Yeah, it's really weird. Yeah, but you can like you definitely feel a lot of like the subtle influences of Scream. Williamson in this film. Yeah. There's one one scene in particular where the uh, her boyfriend goes to check on two of the classmates and uh she's like oh yeah we're getting ready to like you know go out and get drunk and and date rape some guys and uh you want to come with and he's like oh no i gotta go get my nipples pierced like that's that's such a a kevin williamson uh just sense of humor yeah you could see matthew lillard and uh what's his name delivering that no problem you know in in the first scream yeah, I mean, Scream changed the whole horror landscape, and this is one hundred percent a postmodern horror movie at this point. Like, we're not we're not in the heyday of classics anymore. Like, we're now the generation who's commenting on horror while we're watching it. Having said all that, I mean, I still don't really know how you feel about this one, but um, I'm I really like this one, and you know, I I see the criticisms that it's just a little bit derivative of Scream, but. Scream is one of my favorite horror movies and probably my second favorite franchise after this one. So I'm a huge Same. fan. Yeah. Um, so I like a lot about this movie. I definitely have problems with it. But overall, I think this one is pretty awesome. And I understand why they went the route they went with disregarding the sequels. Because I don't know if you remember, we both read Ticking Shape 2. By all accounts, every version of this movie was going to be a direct-to-video Halloween sequel. Like, the Mm -hmm. movies have gotten so down low in terms of box office return that it was going to go the Hellraiser franchise and just probably die as a straight-to-video, very cheaply produced series. And it was really Jamie Lee Curtis willing to come back that brought this to become a theatrical, big-budget, like you know, put some money behind it release. So it kind of saved the franchise, in my opinion, making that decision. I agree 100%. I still would have been interested to see, like, the routes, like, what would have happened if Michael would have gone straight to video. Because, like, say what you will about the Hellraiser, there are some genuine hidden gems in there, like Hellworld and Judgment. Um, and they've done explore some really interesting concepts. But bringing Jamie Lee Curtis back to this franchise is such a huge game changer. Not only that this is now a postmodern screenplay and movie, but also the fact that this is a actress that has kind of like worked her butt off to remove herself from the horror genre. Yep. Coming back into the very franchise that made her a household name. Exactly. And... You know, Jamie Lee Curtis alone is star power galore, but this is also really the first Halloween to ever really have a movie star in it. You know, like, everyone else has either gotten famous later, and even Halloween 2, Jamie Lee Curtis still wasn't, like, a movie star. So it's it's really interesting to see, like, you know, we've never had that. It's always been kind of, like, no-name people who might have made names later on. Um, so it's it was crazy, because this one, I do remember slightly the marketing of halloween curse of michael myers being around but i like i was 
I, I didn't have the internet at this time, but one of my older cousins did, and it was, you know, dial-up and all that. But I remember us watching pixelated versions of clips from this movie and just, like, like just really just being so anticipated. I didn't even see it in theaters. I was eight. Nobody was going to take me, but I saw it on video a few years after. But I just remember always being afraid of Michael Myers and just the hype and the advertising and, like, this movie just brought it back, like, in terms of the public eye, similar to how it happened in 2018 and, like, you know, brought in people who weren't necessarily just fans of the series yeah and not only did it bring back jamie lee it also brought back the nurse from the original 78 mary chambers yeah yeah like she's actually how we get to open this film with joseph gordon levitt and i also want to note this and i did a tiktok about this but how in the world does halloween beat friday the 13th to a hockey related death i don't know it's insane it's insane like i on my like most recent rewatch like i was like watching it like i'm eating pizza and like almost like spat out my food when uh they turned around and did that reveal i was like wait he's got the ice skate in the face yeah i was like i was like let me rewind that like (laughs) am i remembering this correctly and i was like but yo, huh. even even having Joseph Gordon-Levitt in the hockey mask is exactly what you were saying about this being a post like scream Kevin Williamson because that's yeah. very much there for us horror fans to wink at each other and go, oh look, it's Jason's mask in a Michael movie. That's crazy, you know. Like, doesn't mean anything to the story, but for fans, it gives you a little wink nudge moment. Yeah, and speaking of scream, I also want to mention, um, I'm like when it comes to like movies like i'm really big on scores and soundtracks yeah this one is this one in particular is also done by uh marco beltrami who got his start doing scream oh i didn't know that damn i should i should know that as a, as a fan of both as a giant fan <laughs> that's awesome he's gone on to to have quite an interesting career he just most recently did venom let there be carnage oh and, and it, like he directed it or wrote it oh no music he, music. No, he, he wrote this yeah, yeah, yeah he wrote the music for it um but honestly out of every halloween version that we've seen uh tweak on the classic john carpenter score this yeah. is my favorite film because the fan it, it has like a fanfare and it feels cinematic yeah whereas the other ones are just like very haunting you can definitely just feel like the fullness and like the horns and like the the strings like it just it comes together really nicely mm. i yeah i i've got to agree with you there it's it's a really good one i think they also got they got real lucky with this one where like you know josh hartnett was his, is his first movie and i think yeah I, I do think he's really good and usually in slasher movies you don't always get people who end up being stars so i think he he brings a lot to just a role that could have been forgettable as um uh like laurie's son and yeah. I don't know, so it's going to be interesting when we get to 2018 to talk about it because we then get a different angle on Lori. But like, how did you feel about this revisiting of Lori and like the life she's living, where she's kind of in seclusion, she's in hiding, she's almost in denial. Like it's she doesn't like her son knows, but no one else in her life even knows like what she's been through. Lori is kind of the. It's interesting because Lori to me feels the most problematic character, uh-huh. to where she they they mention that her ex husband was a was a, a meth addict. Yeah. So you can clearly see that like she's like the events of Halloween have like messed her up in like current relationships. She kind of has like this like tension strung between her and John, her son, that is kind of like overbearing to a point. She's a she's a functioning alcoholic basically. We see this multiple times throughout the film, but then the last act just kind of throws all of those character traits away, and they're like, 
we're just gonna make her like this like xenon princess uh, warrior <laughs> princess kind of character and it's just gonna be awesome and they just kind of feel like two completely different characters like we only saw like a mixed portion of like what this movie actually could be like it feels like there's like a director's cut somewhere that we haven't seen yeah i could i could i'll i, I could sign off on that i just love the way the last act of this plays out so i think i love it so much that i've actually been blinded to even looking at it like that where i'm like <laughs> oh yeah i guess yeah, it does kind of make sense um but i've also kind of just looked at it of a way of like she makes that decision in that final act when she decides to go back in the school to fight michael where it's like I've literally been hiding and running for 20 years. If I run right now with my son, this is going to continue. So, like, I have to put an end to this. But I do agree where she does have... She has a, an anger and a fighting prowess that isn't necessarily built up in the, in the earlier parts of the movie. Well, I feel like even now, like, with it in hindsight, like, I, I didn't... Before 2018, I don't have an issue with how her character was. Uh-huh. But 2018, her character feels so much more complete where you can kind of see where she has that PTSD. She's learned how to take care of herself, how it's, that has affected the relationship with uh, ex-husbands, yeah. her daughter, her granddaughter, and also the fact that she's also a recovering and sometimes uh, stumbling still alcoholic. Yeah, I think that the, all of those character traits are a lot more like well balanced in 2018s whereas like they kind of present a pseudo type for her character that would later be a more well-rounded in its 2018 counterpart yeah agreed because yeah she's even she is an alcoholic in both versions but it's she's you're more like told she's an alcoholic in this one yeah and it's she doesn't really display any of the behaviors of it she just kind of like has a drink and someone's like oh you're having another one or i forgot someone makes a snide comment about how many she's had but like yeah in 2018 you see like the effects of it and you're just like oh i see why where her drinking comes from and then how that ripples into the rest of her mania into like affecting those in her life also it, it kind of seems like once you have the like that now iconic mirror or like window shot between oh, like her best. and Michael in the seeing each other for it the looks first like a porthole window. Yeah, yeah, it's so yeah. Good. Like that that moment kind of like is the the turning point where her character is no longer this like scared little girl, but she's now like this like heroine, and it just like to me like that's kind of where the move the problems of this movie like you had it just doesn't make sense. And yeah. I, I really enjoy so much about this movie, and it's it's an absolute blast. But like that portion of the movie is kind of where like I just can't disconnect myself from like my film criticism of this movie, and it's like, like as a fanboy fan character, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because my fanboy moment in that literally when when she grabs the axe and starts walking back to the school, and it's that great shot with her shadow dragging the axe, and then she yells, "Michael!" My hairs stand on my arm. Like I know it doesn't make sense so much. In, in the grand scheme of a script, but holy crap, like visually and, and audibly, all of it just works so good. And it, with this time when I watched the movie, I watched from that moment you were talking about, from that closing the door and seeing Michael in the window, like I, I watched the whole movie, I loved it, and then I literally rewound it, called Masha in the room, and I was like, I know you don't like Halloween movies, but you love Jamie Lee Curtis. I want you to watch from this point to the end of the movie, and we rewatched the ending. And, nice. like, and even so, like, if that was a short film, if somebody was like, hey have you seen halloween one like here's a little short film of what happens 20 years later and it starts there it would be insane like it's just so it's so exciting in my opinion 
honestly, I feel like if you're going to show anyone, like, any movie within this, like, this is a kind of, like, the perfect film to show a non-horror fan film. Yeah. Just because, like, there's so many other elements of this movie that makes it entertaining. And I would be remiss to say this. I don't know if you're going to bring this up or not, but LL Cool J. Oh, I was bringing up LL Cool J. Don't you worry. <laughs> Ronnie, a security guard with a passion for erotic fiction. Yep. <laughs> I love him. One of the best parts of this movie. Like, this, yeah. is, his character is the reason why I want to continuously keep visiting the series. That's, yeah, he's, uh, I would love if, like, that That would be a fun fan service to bring him back in some way. You know? <laughs> like, Elokuja's still, he's still acting, he's still around. It would be great. That is one thing that the fan, like, test screenings actually got right, because originally I think he was supposed to die in the original draft yeah and you're right they were like no uh we like him too much bring him back so like it's revealed he's like oh no the bullet just grazed me i'm like yes give yeah. me a ronnie spinoff please and i got to see it with the ultimate test audience which is masha and you know she didn't even watch the rest of the movie and she was just like oh no you can't kill a little cool jay and then when he came back she audibly cheered in the room and she was like <laughs> yeah ronnie's still alive <laughs> and like so i was like yeah it's like some sometimes you got to give the people what they want and it's it's fantastic um but yeah and again that's more just like making it cool and hip for teens again because <laughs> Halloween 6 it's a lot of things but cool it is not it is very weird and dark and you're not it's not the type of movie to take a date to like this is like teenagers going on a date like you know just having a good time at the movies type of sequel and even though they both came out in the 90s I, this is what I consider Halloween in the 90s <laughs> even though Curse of Michael Myers was 95 we were well into the decade it still kind of feels 80s-ish this yeah. is this is like yeah exactly of the 90s I think the reason that you know Curse feels so connected to the to the eighties and kind of like it's it's more darker themes is because, like you also had like a lot of like rise of like fantastical elements in horror taking place at that time. Whether you had things like you know critters and aliens and gremlins and ghoulies is another another yeah. great one. But like you had like a lot of like witchcraft and, and magic that was like tied to horror for sure and i think that's kind of why it that feels... one feels so 80s but then you get into like h2o and it's like two i absolutely 100 percent agree like this film feels like a 90s movie because it has that like fun hip tone to it yeah. and it, it's cast of like characters is like feels very much in line with like scream and like i know what you did last summer a lot and urban legend a lot of those movies that were like coming out at this time that had a very distinct feel to them yeah and also i mean even though we talked about how slashers became the trope of having a group of teens to slaughter when you really think about it halloween really hasn't done that that much i mean two didn't do it it was doctors that that was like the main it was nurses like that was the staff Four, it was mostly about Jamie and his sister, and so was five. Six was like, so this is the first time we get like a group of teens who are like going to get slaughtered. Sure. Like it's it's almost like it's never really done that before. The way Friday the Thirteenth and all, and like you just said, the, uh, I know you did last summer, Urban Legend, Scream, all those kind of movies are. Yeah, that's something I didn't even consider too. I mean, this film, as far as like what we've seen so far in this franchise, is definitely a return to form. Yeah. And yeah, I could tell that that's what they were going for, for sure. But like we were talking about earlier, even though it's a return to form, it's not a direct sequel to part one because this one is very much predicated on the brother-sister relationship. Yep. 
But yeah, I mean, how do you feel uh, outside of the character shift itself, just from like a just just from a filmmaking standpoint? How do you feel about the ending fight, like the whole Laura versus Michael, just everything about it? I really enjoy it, and and honestly, like I like I said earlier, like I would want a little bit more well-roundedness because it just it seems like such a stark contrast but it's such a satisfying thing to where here you have a character that has literally been running for 20 years and has finally just actually hit her breaking point and she's facing the fear head-on i think it's one of the most i don't it's satisfying but it's not satisfied satisfaction is not really the word i want to uh go with here it's I don't know. Like I, I'm, I'm kind of drawing. Like satisfaction, I guess, is the word that I have to go with. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it's not definitely the word like I want to use. It's, it's a, it's a great ending. Yeah, I, 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 I enjoy it. I think they pull off which is hard to do, which is I keep talking about how I don't like when Michael's on screen too often. So a big fight with Michael on paper is not really what I want to see. Like I like him in the shadows. I like him striking quick and fast. Um, but by this, by all accounts, they do like a prolongated fight and I think they come up with inventive ways. Like I think the table sequence is really good. I love, um, her kind of throwing the knives in the kitchen. Like, I don't know. I think they, they don't ruin the mystique of Michael while still keeping him on camera a lot and like attacking Lori. I like it a lot. And then the explosiveness of the final, final moments. I mean, I can't, I would love to go back in time to theaters to just watch, you know, spoiler alert. This was once again, in theory, supposed to be the end of the franchise, so it ends with Larry Strode cutting off Michael Myers' head, which is the most definitive death he's gotten yet. Because he's, he's been murdered before, but it's always been like, eh, his body's still there. But this one ends just with that that moment. Oh, yeah. it's great. Yeah, You don't like it? All right, let's talk about it. No, I don't mind the ending of this film. It's the, it's the behind-the-scenes stuff of where they're like, yeah, no, we think that this is going to be a big hit because Jamie came back to do this. So, like, we have to figure out a way to, like, go behind her back because she was the one that spearheaded this initiative to, yeah, to bring back and celebrate 20 years of oh, Halloween. Oh, nice, nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And to have her kind of, like, come back and do that to a genre that she's, like, basically spat on since she left. Yeah, she, I mean, yeah, she just said she wasn't interested in being, yeah. But, like, the whole idea and the concept of, like, we need to, like, she they're going to do this and we're going to let them think that this is the final one. But, like, we need to immediately retcon this because we're going to green light a sequel. And that was kind of reading Taking Shape 2. That was kind of always the the issue that I feel like a lot of some of the, the Weinstein films suffered from was that they were always focusing on the next project while the... It's, Instead of focusing on the current one. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, I find when we get to the next movie, I find the opening of that more egregious than the retconning of four to five, to be honest. Um, mm. Obviously, I love more Michael Myers, and I get the need to want to build in a safe way to 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 bring back your, your, your killer after killing him. But again, at this point, if we had the beauty of hindsight, Resurrection was going to be the end of that timeline. We were going to see a new a whole new timeline with the remakes, that whole timeline was going to end. And then we're going to see a whole nother timeline begin again. So if like, if we knew that that was the future of the franchise anyway, I would have loved if we could have just ended it here. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, like they, but they felt at the time, like, no, we can't just reboot again. We just rebooted. So we have to keep this storyline going. And it's just like, it's a big old bummer for me because I'd like to just have this one timeline end with a nice victorious Jamie Lee Curtis as opposed to how the first 20 minutes of the next fucking movie begin. 
Yeah, and Jamie, like, I have my own problems with Resurrection and kind of like Laurie Strode in that movie. Yeah. Um, especially its marketing campaign, but um, I, I think for this film in particular, like, had none, had I not had any knowledge of that, like I said, like, the, final, the finality of this particular one, like, I would have been okay with it. Like, I think that this franchise does endings really well. Yeah. I think that there are a lot of endings in this film for in these franchises that I've seen so far in these seven films we've talked about that I've never been like, nope, I don't like that. Don't want to see the next film. Like, it, it ends in such a way that it feels final. So, like, my curiosity of, like, how you're going to, like, retcon or explain that in the next film yeah. is just all more intriguing and, like, interesting to me. Yeah, I, I kind of agree. And um, I like, you know, similar to you were saying how, like, in your mind, you can look at two and be like, that's a satisfying ending to the Halloween we started. Even in my ways, I think even if the ending of four, like, that's a satisfying way where it's like Michael's dead, but the curse lives on through this little girl. That could have been a good ending to the series. Five, not so much. And six, depending on the cut you watch. (laughs) But yeah, again, I could have used this as just the total total final ending um, before we move on to the next one. I will say, though, I've been praising this movie a lot. Don't really care for Michael and really don't care for the mask in this one. Why are the eyebrows so expressive? Dude, the eyebrows are so expensive and the eye holes are huge. So, so can, wide. You can see so much of his face under there. It just ruins the whole idea of of the blank expression. And I'm sure, have you heard the stories? So fans don't know. Apparently they had a lot of mask issues on this where they shot some of the movie with one mask. They didn't like it. So they went back. They changed the mask for the rest of the shoots, but didn't necessarily reshoot the other stuff. And then there's one quick egregious shot where the mask is 1998 CGI. And if you've ever oh. seen that, yeah, it's it's very no. brief. They they didn't they didn't have time to go back for the reshoots, and the effects team assured them they could do it with CGI. If you Google it, you'll find it. It's very quick, but um, it looks real bad. So it's not only a real bad mask, but it's not consistent throughout the movie either. It changes from scene to scene sometimes. Yeah, I feel like that's partially one of the reasons why I have such like like I said like I, I have issues with this film. This film's a, an absolute blast, but Michael's definitely high on the priority list for this yeah. because he's not all right two reasons he's not really in it all that much no. for one and two this doesn't this doesn't feel like the michaels that we know like i wrote in my notes for this one in particular that like when you look at two like other entries in the into this franchise like michael has a pretty high bloodlust this one just doesn't seem like michael like the rest stop is a perfect example where you have a mother and daughter he just carjacks and he just goes. Yeah. That's it. Like I'm like that Michael Myers, like, and you, you see that at the in, in Halloween uh twenty eighteen where like the podcasters stop at this spot. And you not see only what, does he Yeah, yeah, and they brutally get murdered. Oh yeah. The teeth thing is one of my favorite images in that, but we're not talking about that one yet. And I think my last probably problem with the mask too, I feel like the hair is fucked up. I don't know if you agree, but it seems like he has like bedhead or something. It just doesn't, I don't know what it is. I can't, I can't describe it right, but the hair doesn't seem right on the mask when, when he's walking. No, absolutely not. And I think it's just, it's like a completion thing to where it's like the, the hair doesn't feel right. The eyebrows, like it's, it's very expressive and that's just not who Michael is. Like Michael is like what makes him terrifying is just the blankness. Yep, exactly. Anything else on H2O? No. Hey, I think we're, let's, let's move on to, to resurrection. 
Next up, we have Halloween Resurrection, released in 2002, written by Larry Brand and Sean Hood, directed by first time ever in the series returner, Rick Rosenthal, and starring Busta Rhymes, Bianca Kailich, Jamie Lee Curtis, sort of, and Brad Laurie as The Shape. And the plot of this one is kind of two plots because they don't lean, they don't connect in any way, shape, or form. So plot number one is that we learn that Laurie did not kill Michael Myers at the end of the last film and instead cut the head off an innocent paramedic who Michael switched places with. She is now institutionalized from the trauma of killing this man, but is prepared for Michael to attack. And then spoiler alert, Michael kills Laurie, she kisses him and falls to her death, and I don't like it. And completely unrelated to that, Busta Rhymes plays Freddy, who is having an internet reality show called Dangertainment, where contestants spend the night in the Myers house and livestream the experience. Michael is not thrilled. I had to do two plots because this movie makes no attempt to connect anything, and no. I, I, find it, I find it a short 20-minute film and then a short 60-minute film connected to make an hour-and-a-half movie. Yeah, this movie's this movie's kind of rough sometimes, but... I have to applaud them for taking a chance on doing something that broke the formula for what makes a Halloween film. Because he's no longer going after his bloodline, but he's going after people invading his home, which I find is so interesting. And it comes at the height of reality TV. And before live streaming was even really a thing yeah and yeah the, the technology in this movie is doesn't exist that they're using that they're doing like it's insane but um no I'll, I'll give you all that and i do like i don't hate that angle of it and for 2002 it was definitely timely i just my biggest gripe is either continue the lori story or don't i just find it like from a storytelling angle to have the beginning of the movie be what it is and then have this completely separate storyline. It's just it's always bugs me from a writing standpoint. Where like oh. it would I just would have enjoyed you know you can kill Lori in the beginning, but then have the rest of the movie be about like Josh Hartnett or just like anything. Like it, it was it like Bianca and Freddie and all those characters have nothing to do with the opening of this movie. And I just I find it like the writing just so absurd on that angle. Yeah, I think you know taking shape two, uh, which is the like the documentarian uh, like encyclopedia almost of the unmade Halloween movie. The unmade Halloween. One of the things that they were talking about doing was actually having I don't know if it was before or after the release of, of Resurrection, but they were trying to immediately sequelize the uh, H2O and one of the ideas that they had was that bringing Josh Hartnett back teaming up with Charles Cyphers, who what uh, played Sheriff Brackett, which I got to interview him here recently, oh, and that's awesome. I did not know that he didn't. He had no inkling of like them talking about bringing Sheriff Brackett back, and I was like, "Yeah, this this has been a thing that they've been talking about for like over twenty years now." Yeah, yeah, that's crazy. I didn't know that. Um, I know they're talking about it now. I didn't know they were talking about it then. Yeah, no, the, the so they there's a draft that H uh, taking place two talks about where like it's basically like the two of them are teaming up to take Michael down. Yeah, I, I remember reading about that. But I, I think you're right. Like even looking at like the Laurie Schrode stuff in this movie and then going into Dangertainment, they're two completely tonally different films. Yeah. Where the short film angle of it of like kind of like wrapping up Laurie's angle of it 
which is still really weird that she kisses kisses him. Yeah, I, ne- I never understood the motivation. Uh, and then kind of like it's it's kind of like it stays in line to where it's kind of like dark, but it's also like kind of like that that hip fun tone that the H2O does. And then like the rest of this movie just is like very almost like very slapsticky, where like the the stakes just don't feel real. And it has, in my opinion, the most generic like group of characters. Yeah. It does the thing I always criticize movies with students where the thing they study is their exact personality to the point where the guy who's a chef, he doesn't talk about anything if it's not a recipe, nutrition, or diet. Even to the point where he's fighting Michael and he's making jokes about Michael having an iron deficiency and he throws spices <laughs> at him. Like He only uses food to attack Michael. He only speaks in food. And like it's, it's just that kind of writing where it's like you didn't really care that they were characters and it plagues the worst of the Friday the 13th franchise. Where it's just like, yep, this one does. This one is psychology major, so she thinks about things like that. This one is a woman studies major, so everything she does has to do with feminism, you know. And it's like there's no real substance to them, you know. And it's yeah, it's also crazy. The uh, the guy with the leather jacket in this movie, uh, uh, he looks like um, Booger from uh, Revenge of the Nerds. Yeah, he uh, <laughs> recently this year played Ted Bundy in a movie called No Man of God, uh-huh. and. He's probably arguably my favorite version of Ted Bundy I've ever seen oh, wow. come on the screen. Interesting. And I was floored to learn that he was in this movie. And I was like, man, I was like, how far you've come in 20 years? Yeah, seriously. Yeah, his his character was too over the top for me in this one. Everything he said was like way too spooky and weird. Yeah, and you didn't even like really kind of uh, t- hint on when you gave the synopsis about the the whole like Deckard underlying. Oh yeah, for- <laughs> yeah, because the movie doesn't even give us a resolution to it, so it doesn't. If- <laughs> it's hard to care, but yeah, you're right. So it's funny because there's uh, on the Blu-ray there's actually a deleted scene where like when Sarah's burning in the the fire at the end of the warehouse. Uh-huh. Um, like he actually comes and rescues her. So you do get the, the, the two uh, storylines eventually overlapping and they do a really good job at that. But again, this comes back to test audiences the where in the orig- yeah, Buster Rhymes was originally supposed to die. And then they're like, no, we need more Freddy. And I was like, what? The audiences, I couldn't believe when I read that, how much they loved Buster Rhymes in this movie. And they, yeah, they demanded more. To the point where it's another problem I have with the movie. It starts off as Sarah's movie, and it very much ends as Freddy's movie. <laughs> like she's she's in the backseat of the entire climax, and ever like you know to the point where he carries her to safety. And I was just like, <laughs> this is insane. Competing two two different competing uh, visions that we have here. It's like yeah, it's like not only are we trying to like shoehorn in Laurie Strode into this movie to kind of close off H two O's like hanging threads. But we're also going to make this uh, just t- turn the the trope on itself, and uh, we're just going to make this Freddy's movie because Buster Rhymes is arguably the biggest star within this cast outside of Curtis. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah, it's like what's her name was big. Uh, Tyra Banks. Yeah, Tyra Banks. But now I don't think like I remember like I'm a big hip hop fan, but it's 2002 was probably the peak of Busta in terms of popularity. He was everywhere in yeah. 2002. Like his his albums were killing it. It was it was so amazing. So I'm I'm being super hard on this movie. I think it has problems that I could write a whole book about. But having said <laughs> that, I still kind of like watching it. Um, this was the only one that Masha watched with me because I told her there was a Halloween movie that had Busta Rhymes and Tyra Banks. And she's like, I want to see that. 
So we watched this one together and we were laughing our asses off the whole time. So even though I don't think it's good and I think it has a lot of problems, again, it still does the, the thing that I like, which is like, it's so wild, you kind of want to see it. You kind of be like, you're going to have to experience it for the first time. To see Buster Rhymes dressed as Michael Myers, then dressed down the real Michael Myers, it's like, that's insane. It's it's a lot of the things that I felt like, because I heard that, like, they, that apparently Buster had a lot of ability to rewrite his character's parts in this movie, so he got to have free reign of his dialogue and improv. Oh, and a lot of what he does is like what I imagine like if like a 13-year-old could write their own Michael Myers story. It's like, and then I call him a pussy, and then I tell him, you know, and then I get the girl, and then I use my karate kicks and beat him up, you know? And it's like... <laughs> it's uh, by all means bad and that's what i meant by with five like i think this movie and six on paper are worse films but i like them more than five i just i just i i, I have a sweet spot of how fun and weird and stupid this movie is and that's the thing about horror too is that like a movie could be absolutely terrible but if it's entertaining you'll come back to it yeah exactly and that's how this movie is for me. Like, this is probably, and this is a weird thing, but, like, this was kind of one of the first, like, I saw a lot of the, the series out of order, and I saw this was one of, among one of my first uh, introductions to Halloween outside of the original. Uh-huh. And I just have so much nostalgia attached to it that, for me, like, I'm just like, is this a, like you said, like, it's a terrible movie, but there's so much that's about it that's, like, it's funny and it's entertaining that you literally can just, like, shut your brain off and just have a blast with this film. Yeah. And I, I think the Busta Rhymes is a great example of that. Like, his character, Freddy, is, you know, he's trying to, like, make this, like, groundbreaking series. And one of the, one of my favorite parts in this movie is where Sarah goes to the hotel room that Freddy's in. And, like, our introduction to Freddy is, like, he's just chilling, watching kung fu movies. Oh, well, that, we have and to like, seed his, his, his kung fu for later. <laughs> yeah, it's, like, and they plant that seed so early that I'm just, like, okay, I'm, I'm here for this. And then, like, there's, like, that final showdown between him and Michael. And I'm just, like, this is entertaining. It yeah. was so good. <laughs> I know. And it goes back to my thing earlier of, like, now that I know. At the time, I hated this movie. I was I was 12. I remember... Um, this was my first one I've ever seen in theaters. Like I, I was a, by that age, I was able to have like an older cousin or someone take me. So I did see this one in theaters, my first one, and I remember being so mad at it and thinking it was the worst because I thought this was gonna be the last time you ever saw Michael. I'm like, well, the last thing we see is Kung Fu Busta Rhymes. But now that I know we we get a remake, we get a, a a reboot, blah blah blah. Now I like it. Like now I know that this isn't the end of the line for Michael. I don't mind that this movie ends with him getting shocked in the balls by by Busta Rhymes. Yeah, and this film also continues on the the franchise uh thing too because if I remember correctly, this is also the first film that Katie Sackhoff is is also in, correct? I think so. Actually, eh, I don't know. I'm, I I said I think so, but I actually don't know. <laughs> but it might be right. I think this was at least one of her first roles because like this is before she made a big with Battlestar Galactica. Mm. That makes sense. Okay, yeah, yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, we also get some fun, like the kid from American Pie is in it and Rookie of the Year. I forget his yeah. name. And even the guy, the chef guy who I was railing on, like he was, you know, me and Masha did uh, Save the Last Dance on this podcast. He was in Barbershop. Like he's in a lot of fun stuff. So like yeah. I didn't hate the casting. It's like, yeah, I, I, could, I could rail on it for days, but there's a weird part of me that kind of likes it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a strange anomaly within the films because like it doesn't hold to like really anything 
any it kind of embraces that anthological feel to where like yes it still has ties to h2o and that timeline but outside of like those first 20 minutes like it really just embraces like an entirely new set of ideas it's really creative with some of its kills and i I honestly really love the way that they decorate the uh the myers home i think that they gave it a really creepy aesthetic and that creepy aesthetic really plays to their favor later on in the movie. Like, yes, there are a lot of things that it's like they're questioning, like, oh, well, these these things are brand new. Like, these spices smell fresh. Yeah. Like, look how sharp these knives are. Like, all of that stuff is, like, works really well. But also, too, I think that this film is, like, it's a hot mess, but it's it's such a fun hot mess. Yeah, agreed. I think that that reveal of um, the fact that Freddy and the crew planted all that fake Michael stuff was probably my favorite thing in the movie because I I remember thinking at the time of being like, because they kind of go the route that we'll see in the next one of being like, oh, as a kid, he was chained to this thing and and tortured by his parents and that's why he's evil. But then you find out that that's all fake and I kind of, I like that kind of play on that. But I gotta say, that little reveal of Michael opening his eyes at the end is probably the laziest, dumbest ending to any of these movies. It's like, you know, Michael's laying on the operating table and then his eyes just open and then it cuts to black. And I'm just like, you guys didn't think this one. They were just like, yeah, yeah, make it so we can come back in the next one. It was it's it's the most cliche, uninspired kind of shot in this franchise, in my opinion. I, I think a large portion of that comes from the Weinsteins to where they they knew that they had a juggernaut. Because when you, you think about this in context, like Michael throughout the, the 90s and up to this point from 1990 until 2000 and three like or 2002 when this came out yeah. like for those 12 years he was probably the, primarily the only original uh slasher icon that was still producing films for sure like yes like you had uh scream come in 96 they made jason goes to hell in 93 but even that and... was like they were trying to depart and barely have jason in the film like it was it didn't yeah. it wasn't quite a classic and then same with new nightmare I love that movie, but it's not classic Freddy. It's very much trying to distance itself. Yeah, and and so you have this. This is a franchise that like they are going to sequelize and like open that door as many as any way possible. Yeah. And I'm really glad for the following year with 2003 and the, the Platinum Dunes Texas Chainsaw Massacre because had it not been for that, we would have continued in this route. And I think that these films would have just gotten progressively worse to where we could have eventually seen the seen Michael be worse than he was in Halloween 5. Yeah, I think so. And we probably would have gone back to the direct-to-video route that we were already on pre-H2O. Like they would have gotten less, less and less returns less and less worth it to put it out in theaters um so yeah, i agree with that did you ever see it's barely even worth mentioning but i guess technically this one has a different cut as well i saw it accidentally as a kid because i used to pirate a lot of movies when i was younger um don't do it anymore but i used to and uh i got a version of this movie and it was called halloween homecoming have you ever seen this one Mm-mm. It's it's barely different, um, but it was I guess it was the first cut of this was before they renamed it Resurrection. And the only difference is in the beginning, there's some home footage of Michael as a little boy, and it's like this whole family's having a barbecue, and then it it pans over and you see kind of Michael standing alone in the corner, and he keeps like motioning to like have the person stop filming him, and then he like turns and stares at the camera, and that's kind of like the cold open to the movie. And the ending is almost the exact same thing, except Michael's like in a manhole like a sewer manhole and one of the paramedics walks by and he yanks them down inside and that's like the big reveal at the end that he's still alive 
But other than that, it's the exact same movie. But I just remember finding it really weird. I downloaded it when I was 12, and I was like, what is this? And I think I read about it in Taking Shape that it was just like the first cut they made of the movie, and they decided to change it. Interesting. I'm almost kind of curious if uh, if some of that stuff is on the, the Shout Factory Blu-ray. Maybe it is, yeah. I, I have a weird collection. My, my, my DVD doesn't have any special features of, of this one, so I don't, I don't, it might be on there. Interesting. I'll have to get to go and look, but um, I mean, I, I feel like we would be remiss to to not only talk about how this film too has a returning director for the first time. Yeah, it is really, and and it's crazy too Rick because I, I find it so totally different than Halloween Two. <laughs> He's the guy who directed Halloween Two. I don't really remember a lot of like the early internet days um, from like the early two thousands, yeah. but like I imagine it his like return to the franchise was like very exciting. Yeah. For a lot of fans, because like, like I said, when we talked about Halloween 2, like that seems to be like a top three fan favorite of any sequel. For sure. Yeah. Um, I think you and I are in the minority of not loving it yeah. as much as most fans. I'm I'm glad to, to know that I'm not alone when it comes to <laughs> Halloween 2. I've always but been yeah, ashamed to admit it. I'm like, I'm more bored than everyone else seems to be. And I don't know why. <laughs> but it's interesting that he comes back for this film of all movies and uh, just how lackluster this movie and sloppy it is, too. Yeah, it's weird that it's a return director. It's weird that it's 20 years later. Like, you would think that they would want to, like, if they're going to return someone, it's going to be like a Rob Zombie. Oh, you made one, make another one, you know? It's like, or David Gordon Green, but like, yeah, 20 years later, I don't even know. Like, it's bananas. Oh, we also didn't mention, I, I normally I hate rewinding, but uh, H2O was directed by Steve Miner, who directed Nightmare, uh, Friday the 13th 2 and 3. Mm-hmm. Um, I just wanted to note that. Like, I think that guy knows his slasher movies because I really like those two entries. Yeah, I kind of would have wanted to see what would have happened with uh, Miner coming back in the director's chair, like how yeah. this movie would have been different because, I mean, he's a director that really knows how to direct a horror film like i i might not be the hugest fans of like some of the friday sequels mm-hmm. but i can acknowledge the fact that he knows how to direct uh and make a fun atmosphere really well for sure but yeah i, I don't really know the story of the rick rosenthal um or why it just feels so different but it could just be 20 years i mean people change like you know you don't no, nobody makes the same movies that they were making 20 years later like sure even look at carpenter you know I've got to say though, um, it's not it's not my favorite of all time, but I think they went in a much better direction with the mask, and I don't have any real problems with Brad Laurie playing Michael Myers. No, I, I think it's <laughs> my, uh, Michael in this one kind of feels like not the biggest hindrance in this movie. So like he kind of like to me like just kind of fades into the background. It's not the strongest. It's not the weakest. It's kind of like very middle tier but i do enjoy the mask for this one yeah i think like i, I always kind of wished i could pluck this michael and put it him into h2o like i'd rather just like why can't we just have the shitty michael in the shitty movie and <laughs> then the movie i like more but uh yeah. you, you can't you can't get what you get um what else is there to say besides trick or treat motherfucker so uh <laughs> yeah happy fucking halloween i was trying to think of some of the real bad lines in this but i think hey michael happy fucking halloween and trick or treat motherfucker are the two the two top ones I, I also think that, like, the reveal of, like, Michael, like, uh, Freddie wearing the Michael Myers is probably among some of my favorite, uh, like, scenes in this movie. Yeah. Because he's, like, he's, like, trying to be, like, uh, he's, like, so surprised when he gets, like, hit by one of the, the people doing the reality show. And he's, like, chill, it's me. And it's, like, mm-hmm. You would have ruined your whole... Yeah, first of all, Bro. they're not going to chill because they think you're really yeah. Michael. But also, 
Yeah, for the amount he has invested, uh, yeah, and his plan, the Dangertainment, how is he? I feel like he's acting like he's going to get rich off it. <laughs> and the infrastructure alone to put this shoot together, I was like, there's no way you're making your money back on the early days of the internet. No, not, um, not by a long shot. And also, I work in production. There is no way in hell that this production would go down with essentially a director, a producer, and one crew member. Absolutely not. The amount of cameras they have and video feeds and battery packs and mics they would have had to deal with, that's like a 20-person shoot. And they took care of it with one crew member who dies early on and then Tyra Banks and Busta Rhymes who don't seem like they know how to do anything technically. So I got I to gotta pull the, uh, <laughs> the filmmaking card on that I don't buy it. That tripod death was pretty spectacular, though. It was, yeah. That's, that, that's the uh, nice little reference to Peeping Tom, you know? You, you've seen that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Also... It, it 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 does make a difference like I, I think that like as horror fans like we don't really think about it sometimes and this is why i'm glad i'm a cinephile is because like and i i know that you will probably appreciate this is that like if you shoot up at like certain angles like for, uh, friday the 13th is like big on that where like they'll shoot like the pro- antagonist like at like a lower angle to kind of make him more menacing and then yeah. they'll shoot the victims at like a higher angle to kind of make them feel like not only that you're seeing it from Jason's or like the antagonist point of view but also to kind of make it a little bit more terrifying of course yeah yeah like you feel smaller when you're looking down on someone yeah. it, it looks yeah yeah. It, yeah it's it's great any final resurrection thoughts before we close out yet another timeline in the <laughs> Halloween franchise let's open the next time right, yeah this timeline is officially closed and as of now is yet to be reopened we are going to now go into a whole new timeline with the second film ever to just be called Halloween. The release date was 2007, written and directed by Rob Zombie. First time since the first movie, we have a kind of writer-director kind of making, doing both. And this one is starring Scout Taylor Compton, Malcolm McDowell, Brad Dourif, Daniel Harris, in a surprise, and this time Tyler Maine, a.k.a. Sabretooth from X-Men, as The Shape. And in the plot of this one, it is a retelling of the original film, the plot remains relatively the same, with a greater emphasis put on young Michael Myers and what effects his childhood and family life had on becoming who he is. Now, this is a controversial one, and um, I, even though I feel like I've been able to kind of guess roughly how you feel, I don't know how you feel about this one at all. Let me just say two things real quick. that uh, When I teased, I have controversial opinions on these films. Rob Zombies are the two biggest points of controversy that I have in my uh, in my thoughts on the franchise as a whole. Oh, interesting. Um, and two, uh, last year for Halloween, a uh, part of our Patreon the, for victims and villains, we did a uh, me and the guy that I co-host uh, Abyss Gazing with the horror podcast. Mm-hmm. We did a back and forth where I defended Carpenter and he defended uh, Zombie to de- to definitively answer the question of who was better. I love that. And uh, I mean, I, I know my answer, but I'd love to hear the debate anyway. <laughs> no, I, I I will say this though is that Rob Zombie. The more that I watch this movie, because again, this is this was a very nostalgic viewing for me. Yeah, and because I I grew up as these movies were coming out. Yeah. I hate it more and more every time I watch it. Oh, man. Interesting. And Rob Zombie is an extremely polarizing filmmaker. I love Rob Zombie as a filmmaker. I'm just going to throw that out there. I think that this film has great ideas, but knowing that 
the first half of this movie was pitched as a standalone. Uh, the kickoff of a standalone to be a, a, a trilogy makes me kind of not really enjoy this film. It feels very convoluted in some scenes. There's a, it feels a lot of like really overemphasized on like the violence and like the domestic abuse. Like it just, it's a overindulgent film that I feel like is in some ways like the back half of this, it feels like a, a carbon copy, but yeah. So, so to me, like I, this film has good ideas, but not always the best execution. All right, I, I can take that. So my my take on this one, full disclosure, for the longest time, I was pretty anti both Rob Zombie movies. Um, I was just like a weird fanboy who just like wasn't feeling them. And if, if the whole franchise, I've definitely seen this one and the next one the least amount of times to the point where I actually bought them on DVD, on Blu-ray for this viewing. Like I never even owned them before this one. I just always kind of... I saw I saw this one in theaters. I remember being very excited about it and just being really turned off by it. And I'd only ever seen the theatrical cut. So this time watching it is actually only my second time ever seeing this movie and my first time seeing the director's cut, which, guys, listening, similar to Halloween 6, this movie does have two versions. They're not quite as drastically different as Halloween 6, but I do think they're different enough where you do kind of get yeah. a different tone by watching both of them. So this was my first time watching the director's cut, um, which I you know I had some feelings about it. I go. Oh, what were you gonna say about the director's cut? I was just gonna say I've only ever seen the director's cut, so I don't know anything about the theatrical cut or how there how it's different. Okay, cool. For I, this I, particular one. Yeah, yeah. I can. I'll do my best to bring up what what really is. But um, yeah, I like parts of this movie. I think I do like Rob Zombie movies as well. I might not be quite as big a fan as you are. I but. It, the biggest downfall of this movie and the parts of the second one that I don't like is, I think, his dialogue and his insistence on having all his movies inhabited by these, like, filthy characters. And when I watch stuff like Devil's Rejects and House of a Thousand Corpses, it makes... He, like, builds that world, so I, I kind of buy it a little more. But with this movie, especially with the second half, it tries to juxtapose with, like, the nice, calm suburban atmosphere that the first one gives you but it just doesn't with this you know for lack of a better term like rednecky kind of character choices where everybody's like a disgusting pervert like not even like sex on the mind like really disgusting like things just like you know talking about banging underage girls to to mutilation to come to just all this stuff and it's really vile and disgusting and i know rob zombie's doing it because he he it elicits a reaction so i know it's done on purpose it just I, I, the dialogue kills it for me in this one and there's so much stuff i not so much there is stuff i do really like about this movie but mostly the first half when people are talking i just can't i just don't like it i it's not for me. Also, too, there's there's two things that I want to point out about this film. And the first one, to your point, about the exploration of what makes Michael evil. It is clearly just very by-the-book, uh, like, trying to explain about, like, how, like, you're shaped by your environment and you're going to constantly be a product of that. I can attest that, like, if you are if you're raised in an environment that is toxic, I've seen people break free of that. Yes. 
And this movie just feels incredibly hopeless. And for me, like, that's part of the reason why I don't like it. And another reason I don't like it, too, is, um, well, I guess two two more reasons that I'll, I'll say, is it takes, a, it explains away the terror of Carpenter's original oh, vision. 100%, yeah. And two, I, we talked about this in, in Halloween 3, about how there are certain sequences within this film that like I, within these these films that like I just can't watch because it's, it's too grotesque and this one has takes the cake on it and that's the rape scene in this one oh, the rape yeah. scene in the director's cut every time that sequence it's is like specifically set up like I'm just like skip two chapters ahead I'm I'm not taking yeah, any chances yeah for me it's it's the worst example of that kind of trying to shock the audience where it has no bearing on the overall story it doesn't really tie in thematically to anything this movie's trying to tell you it's just there so you could be like so disgusted and you like like you're like oh you know like they're, they're trying to do like the feeling that watching the original texas chainsaw massacre gives but it feels exploitive and less artistic um, and that's what that's the biggest change in the theatrical cut is that scene is completely removed. So that the first time I saw this movie, I actually never saw that rape scene. I've heard it talked about, so I knew it existed, but I actually watched it for the first time last week. And I 100% agree. It's gross, and I'll probably never want to watch it again. And I, I will say, though, that like I do enjoy the, the, the handling of how Michael kind of has these, like, almost like this alter ego to where like there's a Michael Myers as kind of like this, like really sweet and innocent kid. There's a great scene between him and Loomis that takes place after the murders. And he's like, Oh yeah, I didn't do that. Like he's kind of like regressive as far as like this traumatic event goes. Yeah. But I think it's interesting the way that a zombie really has a catalyst and relationships with how he views masks Mm -hmm. and how he kind of like feels at home with it to where like we see him in the opening, like he's killing a rat, but he's doing it with a mask. Like the entire time that like, yeah, when he kills the first bully, the the spy kid, he he wears a mask. Um, he's also at the same time, you, um, also have uh like when he's like starting to like kind of like regress into silence and like not talking like it's always mask and when we kind of see it 15 years later you get into his cell and it's just wall-to-wall masks like I, i really think that he does a great job at setting that aspect of the character up and it makes him really unique and he carries it really well into the second film also yeah i i agree um but i do think one of the reasons, like, one of the big things Rob Zombie talked about in the making of this movie was how, like, he did want to, he was he was only interested in exploring the why of Michael and really getting behind it. And I feel like it do- only does it on a very surface level. I enjoy all that mask stuff, but none of that, to me, really explains why he decides to break out that night, why he decides, what, like, what the catalyst is to go after Laurie. It's not like in the other movies where he sees... Laurie go to his house and drop off the key and decides to start stalking her. He knows very well he has a sister. There's not like any news. There's like I don't really buy like the whole reason of the breakout and the terrorization. And if you're if you're gonna predicate the whole movie on we're gonna explain all his motivations, I still don't really understand his motivation. I don't know why he decides to break out on that night. I get that they're messing with his masks and that's why he decides to kill them during the rape. But then why break out after that when he could have, based on his size, he in theory could have broken out whenever he wanted. Yeah, he, and let's, let's not forget, he faces off against Joe Grizzly. <laughs> that too, like, I definitely like that scene. I love Ken Forey, 
but it it doesn't mean anything to the overall movie. Like it, if that wasn't doesn't. Ken Forey, that he that there's no reason Joe Grizzly needed a name and half of a backstory when he was just gonna get killed for his suit in three seconds. It it doesn't need it, but it's a it's a great moment that he has. It's like, hilarious. It, it's probably honestly like it, it sounds so weird to say, but it's probably like honestly my favorite ten minutes in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's pretty awesome, and I mean, yeah. I I mainly know Ken Forey from both Dawn of the Dead and being Keenan's dad on on Keenan and Kel. Mm-hmm. So like like it's just hilarious. For so long I hadn't seen him back in horror, and then this to me felt like a little homage. Like this guy started in horror. Let's let's give him some credit. Yeah, and he's almost exclusively like working with like Rob Zombie now. At least like the last few times I've seen him has always been in Rob Zombie. Oh, films. that's awesome. <laughs> I think that I love that they brought Daniel Harris back to the franchise. Yes. Like I know that was Rob Zombie basically like saying sorry that you got screwed the first time by bringing her back in to play Annie. And I really like Brad Dourif as um, Sheriff Brackett. I kind of mentioned it earlier. I think him in these two movies are the reason why I have reverence for that character more so than the original film. Oh, 100%. Like, growing up, like, I feel really bad saying this, like, having interviewed Charles Cyphers, because he's a, he's a, such a gentleman. Oh, yeah. Um, he's such a, a fan of the, the series and, like, just honestly loves the craft so much. But, like, Brad Dwarf was my Sheriff Bracket. So, nice. like, that was kind of, like, my connection to this, because, like I said, like, I, I saw, like, a lot of, like, the early entries that we've talked about already, but, like, growing up, like, I've seen zombies two films more than any other uh, films in this franchise wow. just because like I grew up on it like yeah, it was nostalgic yeah. and I was really young and naive into my 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 horror watching and so like I, I just really liked him as as Sheriff Brackett like you said like and then uh, I found out that he was Chucky and I was like oh this changes everything yeah he's the best and Lord of the Rings. Yes. I already told you this in real life, but I haven't said it on air, but I had the pleasure of working with Brad Dara very recently, and it was a dream come true. He is a peach. He is so nice and awesome. And I got to wa- I got to f- be there while we did ADR for the new Chucky series, and it blew my mind. I did not know that last part, but I'm, like, super jealous now. Oh, yeah, yeah. We um, were filming those things that happen at the end of episodes of TV shows when they go to, like, a minute or two of an interview talking about the episode. We were filming all those for season one, so... If you watch season one of Chucky and you see those, know that uh, that's my microphone pointed at Brad Dourif. <laughs> I'm I'm so excited for that for that series. Oh, I'm pumped! I had the whole series ruined for me by filming these things. So plot wise, I know everything that happens, but either way, I'm still very excited to watch it. Don't tell me. Don't oh, tell I'm not. I haven't told anybody. They didn't even ask me to sign anything. They literally, it's just as a fan, I will not tell anybody because I hate ruining things. Yeah, I appreciate that. <laughs> no problem. But yeah, back to zombie. I I know Rob Zombie says he likes the first half of this movie more than the second half. I like the second half. I find the first half to just be just too much with Rob Zombie. I hate I hate the family. I hate every scene where they're talking to each other. Sherry Moon Zombie, I, I got no problem with, but I just feel like there's not enough meat on that bone for me with that character. And I'm not even, you know, I don't like to normally pick on kid actors, and I'm not picking on them, but I don't really care that much for the young Michael, like... Um, I surprisingly kind of liked who they cast in Halloween 2 more as young Michael than this young Michael. Yeah, he had a quick growth spurt. Also, he's a uh, he's a rapper now. Is he really? Yeah. Oh, I got to check this guy out. Yeah, yeah, and it's like I don't I don't think it's the kid's fault. I just like I, I the juxtaposition of of him talking and then like supposing to be this like 
I, I didn't buy it looking in his eyes and seeing a soulless kid, you know, the way they describe it. Yeah, I, I feel like there's there's too much of that innocence that we get in, like, the first quarter of the film versus, like, the second quarter where he's, like, supposed to be, like, devil's eyes. And I'm yeah. just like, mm, nope, I'm not buying that. And even, like, just, like, the turn for the killing, like, I don't really get it. Like, he's just sitting there eating candy corn, and then he just, like, finishes and gets up and decides to do the massacre, and it's like... I don't know. I feel like if your whole point of this movie is to explain his logic, I didn't really feel like I learned much about the why. No, same. Yeah. I, it, to your point, like about like the, I, I'm curious about your this 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 from you, like particularly as a viewer. Like, do you feel like the first, like half this film, because of like that they are semi familiar characters with you know Judith and Michael as characters, do you feel particularly like it's too much because it's like Rob Zombie taking these like familiar IPs and kind of like bringing his like own like signature twist to it. Yeah, I think it's that. And then also, you know, I am just, I am a bit of a carpenter purist and I do think this story does work the best when it has that angle we were talking about where like it could happen in your home. It could happen in your town. Like, like just because everything is perfect on paper doesn't mean that there's not evil lurking. And this one just, again, just kind of generic, generified, that's not even a word, made it very generic. And it was like, you know, just everybody was just such a filthy human. I just, it was like, it just, it's not fun to watch. And it just like, again, like you said, people can make it out of that. And the thesis of this movie is kind of like, if your environment sucks, you suck. And, and yeah. that's like the end of it. Like, it's, it's not very deep in a movie where that was sold to me as we're going to learn about the psyche. It, it's such a, like I said earlier, it's such a hopeless movie. Yeah. It and really it's it still like fades into that. Like uh, the second half of this movie is like a very clear cut, just brutal retelling of Carpenter's masterpiece. And I like some of the gags in this, but again, like if I do, I yeah, I do watched, like them. Wait, yeah. So if I never watch this movie again, like I could still be like satisfied just going back to Carpenter's movie. Yeah, I kind of agree. But I liked it more this time getting into the second half when I did kind of, I did appreciate some of the stuff. I liked like the new kids who played Lindsay and Tommy. Um, there's certain images I really like, like when Lindsay's watching the movie and then Michael's just standing behind her. I don't know. Like there's there's just certain stuff he does actually pull off where I liked it more this time. But having said that, it's because I used to I spent my whole life thinking I despise every minute of this movie and i don't despise every minute of this movie it's just the stuff i hate clouded my brain and like i really thought about it. i was like oh i guess it's it's not the dialogue i hate isn't as pervasive as i remember it being like it's it's a lot but it's there's still a lot of stuff in the movie and the all the stuff with the parents minus one or two scenes are cut out of the theatrical and i think that helps the um the directors cut a lot i do yeah. like spending more time with laurie's parents because we get none of them in the original movie and I do think they bring a little bit of heart to a movie that's not there. Um, but the director's cut also, at the end of the day, the fact that it has the rape scene, which is completely cut out, and it's just too long. I don't think, I, I'm a big believer in like slashes and comedies should kind of be about 90 minutes. I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a genre that can really hold two hours plus. And the director's cut of this movie is like two hours and like fucking a couple of minutes. I think it's too long. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. I think that this movie does go on a little bit too long. And it, it would be different, I feel like, if there was, like, interesting stuff that was transpiring. But like you said, like, the the first half of this movie is just, like, so, like, over the top with its, like, 
white trash approach yeah. that it kind of just feels like so grimy and so dirty that by the time you get to like the actual like remake portion of it, it just it even feels totally different the second half of this film to where like it it feels like it's just a more height a uh, hyper violent version of Carpenter's original take. It was like yeah, I felt it felt a little a little uninspired um, personally in terms of the three big remakes. Uh, like so I, I always this Friday and Nightmare, I just those three I always put together. I don't know if you've seen them all, but I think Friday has the best remake. Then this one, and then Nightmare on Elm Street. I, I hate the Nightmare on Elm Street remake. You think so? Yeah, I, I can't. I mean, maybe I need to see it again, but I, I just I found that one to be the most generic. And I love Nightmare for its effects, and to go all CGI, just it really it didn't it didn't do it for me. Sure, I guess. So like, uh, Nightmare is. I'm not. I'm kind of like right there with you, but like as far as like the best one. Friday, in my opinion, is not even in that conversation. It's oh, actually Texas Chainsaw. Oh snap! All right, yeah, yeah, that one is that one's yeah, yeah. You're right. So if we're gonna expand I, it to four, Texas is always the grandfather. It was before Halloween, and it was the first remake. It's always the one that sets the trends. Yeah, I I don't know, man. I I really just I love that movie so much. It's like probably one of the only remakes I come back to so frequently. Like I, I've seen Texas Chainsaw on Halloween probably right around the same amount of times. Yeah. Nice, nice. All right, and last, um, I mean, we talking about Michael's going to be very different in this one because we have a fucking pro wrestler playing Michael for the first time, so we're going full hulking Jason Voorhees style. I don't, again, if this was our only Michael going forward, I would hate it, but since we kind of go back to the original, I don't mind it. It's not my favorite, but it's it's definitely, I don't want this to be the only Michael. I don't need Michael to be six foot seven, 300 pounds. <laughs> Tyler Mania. Yeah. Uh I am also going to have a, also have a controversial opinion. I think this is the best mask the film has I, I, ever. I like the mask had. a lot. I love the mask in this one. And I think Tyler Mayne does a really great job. I think that he's lit really well. Um it, he kind of really focuses on that menacing, but there are there are other aspects of his character that I feel like make him vulnerable. Like the the scene in the end where like it's him and Scout Taylor Compton's Laurie Strode out in front of Judith's grave, and he just drops to his knees, takes off his mask, and hands her the picture of him as a child with her as yeah. a baby. Like, I think that he's also able to convey those motions really well, and his body language is also just tremendous out of uh, almost everyone, I would say, since Nick Castle. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. And it's. As generic as the hulking thing is, it does work in certain scenes where, like, he's in a, someone's in a room with him, and you're like, oh, yeah, there's nothing they could do. Like, you know, like, you could argue with some other Michaels, maybe if you can, like, hit him in the nuts or knock him over, but, like, this guy, he's just so big. It's like, yeah, it's, it's, there's no chance. It's, it's, it's the, the fear is there. I also, just one thing I just thought of that I thought, I thought this movie didn't really place the music in too good of places. Like, it plays the Halloween theme for the first time when Michael's a kid after he kills the spy kid and then runs away. And I just, like, I don't know, I just felt like it was placed in a very non-suspenseful moment. And I, I felt like it didn't really know when to use the score that effectively. Yeah, that's something that I, I noticed this time around on my most recent rewatch is, like, a, you're right, like... It it kind of embraces a lot of that signature um, 
Rob Zombie music selection because if you've seen a lot of his filmography, a lot of his music is like 60s and 70s. Yeah. And so he has a lot of like that that's littered throughout here. And so you don't really get the signature uh, Michael uh, Halloween stuff until like just randomly portions throughout the film until like the end credits. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Here's something that occurred to me since you've seen this movie a million times and I've only seen it twice. I've never really thought about it until right now. What year is any of this supposed to be happening? Early 90s. So the movie takes place like the, the older Laurie Strode in the early 90s? Yes. So but the, isn't there the, a cell phone scene? There there might be because like... like that's what so threw like, me off because I was like, how was the 70s 15 years ago if it's 2007? Yeah, that's that's a good point. Um, there's also a scene in the second one is we'll kind of get talk about where there's like you don't get any of that like cell phone technology. But like every like there's thousands of shots of VHSs, and so I was like, "What, what year does this take yeah, place?" Yeah, like into? I because I always like the first time I saw it, I was always like, "Oh yeah, the beginnings in the '70s," because he plays all those classic '70s songs, and then it's 15 years later. But then I'm doing the math. I'm like, "Wait a minute! I was 17 in 2007. I'm the same age as Lori <laughs> in this movie. I was not a baby in the '70s. Like I was born in 1990." <laughs> I was not. Yeah, his uh his timeline in this one is weird where it seems like a lot more tighter in the the second film. So, yeah, like, to answer your question, it's supposed to take place within the 90s. Okay, so I think I there like, are some goofs. Cuz I was like I guess the intro is supposed to be 1992 because that's 15 years prior to 1990, I mean 2007, but I don't know. So that that threw me off. And yo, know, I had to write down one of the worst lines. Like I know I already said I hate his dialogue. There's lines like Hey, Casper, the friendly asshole ghost. It's just like, that's why I don't like Rob Zombie's writing. Like, it's just like, he just like sick stuff and just puts fucks and shits and dicks and cum into it. And like, that's his writing. And I just like, I don't care for it. Yeah, Rob Zombie is not the most articulate filmmaker. But the reason that I like him as a filmmaker is because of the the chances that he takes and the wild and weird things that he goes into. Yeah. I don't know if I'll ever watch it, but on my DVD that I just bought, my Blu-ray, there is a four and a half hour documentary of the making of this movie. I don't know if I'll ever sit through it, but it's on there. So I guess we could learn everything we've ever thought about what Rob Zombie was thinking in that four and a half hours. I, I, ha- I used to have the, the DVD before I upgraded that had the um that documentary on there, and I sat down to watch it, and I watched it for like the first like half hour. I'm like, I'm just not committed to this enough as like a fan. Like it's It's a thing. It's a... It's another thing entirely, like, if you're going to watch something like Never Sleep Again or, like, In Search of Darkness. Or the, the Crystal Lake uh, uh, yeah, one. Crystal yeah, Crystal Lake Memories, like, where you're actually going to sit down and talk about, like, the, the longevity of the franchise, not just a single film. No, yeah, it's, I think it's indulgent. Like, even four and a half hours on the whole franchise we might be asking a lot. But but those movies I love because I like to watch them alongside where, like, I'll watch an, a Friday movie and then I'll watch that section of the documentary and then I'll watch the next one and then I'll watch the next section. And, you know, it's fun to do that. But yeah, four and a half hours on one is indulgent. Kind of like Too this much. movie. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I pretty much said all. Oh, and I, I like Scout Taylor Tom Compton, you know. I mean, she's no Jamie Lee Curtis, but who is? You know, I think she does a good job. Oh, I have so much to say when it comes to the next movie. Okay, cool. Yeah, let's jump into Halloween, too, because I think all around, whether you like it or hate it, it's more interesting to talk about than this Halloween. <laughs> so <laughs> let's go. <laughs> Fast forwarding to 2009 with Halloween 2, written and directed again by Rob Zombie and with the same cast, Scout Taylor Compton, Malcolm McDowell, Brad Dourif, Daniel Harris, and Tyler Maine once again as The Shape. 
and this plot is one or two years since the last film, depending on the cut you watch. Lori and the other survivors of the first film are trying to put the pieces of their life back together, and Michael, now seeing visions of his dead mother with a white horse, returns once again to hunt down Lori and finish what he started. I just want to say that this cut is right up there with the producer's cut of part six. How different it's it is? so vastly different. The theatrical to the um, to the director's cut. Like, I saw this in theaters three times. Wow. And I have very controversial opinions on this film, but I have reasons for those that I'll explain in a few minutes. But, like, I just remember, like... I've seen the director's cut more, but like watching one of those like side by side comparison videos on YouTube in preparation for this, I was like, maybe I romanticize like how much I actually really liked the theatrical cut because uh-huh. the director's cut just has like it, it just has a more like artistic but like also like grounded reality to it than the theatrical cut does. Mm-hmm. So for me, I skipped this movie in theaters. I was so. So again, I was such an asshole fanboy at the time at 17 where I was just not into Rob Zombie. I thought it was sacrilege what he was doing to my favorite franchise. So I skipped this one in theaters and then I saw it when it came out. So I only saw the director's cut. And I, at the time, I saw it one time and I put it at the bottom of my list. I said, I hate this movie. It's, it's shitting on Michael. He's not wearing a mask. He sees a white horse. Fuck this movie. It's the worst Halloween they've ever made. I'm never watching it again. And then ha- fast forward to 2021. I've yet yet to watch it again until last week, and then I bought the theatrical cut and the I bought both cuts basically because I wanted them, and I watched the theatrical for the first time, and um, surprisingly, I have a lot of nice things to say about this movie. <laughs> um, I really liked it, and I ended up watching a cut comparison because I didn't have time to rewatch the theatrical. But I want to hear your thoughts um, because uh, I was pleasantly surprised with the theatrical version of this movie. Oh, I, this is a film that I come back to at least twice a year. Yeah. Uh, I am just going to say this, is that from someone that works in the, the field of mental health and is has been an advocate for mental health since around the time of this movie, I have just loved the realistic approach that it takes to PTSD, trauma. yeah. And PTSD that this this film does, like, especially, like, noticing, like, the, the stark differences between, like, even how Lori is portrayed in the theatrical cut versus how she is portrayed in the director's cut. I think that this kind of, like, breaking point of, like, trying to get your life back together, but, like, still having bumps along the road with... Um, you know, not sleeping well and just having like, you know, very vivid flashbacks and like triggering. I think that zombie just absolutely crushes it yeah. in that aspect. Which do you prefer in terms of Laurie's character, the theatrical or the directors? Directors. Directors. Interesting. So I, I think the reason I gravitated so much towards the theatrical this time was I get a hundred percent what you're saying. Um, I just... For some reason, I felt it was handled more tactfully in the theatrical. Um, and the reason I think this is, for those who haven't maybe seen it or aren't aware of the difference is, Laurie's a lot more damaged in the director's cut, where you can tell right from the beginning she she is 
really struggling to get over what happened to her in the last movie to the point where she lashes out at everyone in her life who's who cares about her she's now living with sheriff bracken and annie and every scene they have together she's very angry and abrasive which is understandable like you said most films don't do that because it's not a very fun thing to watch so they go a little nicer route with it and then in the theatrical cut they soften it a little bit and she they make very very uh interesting cuts they don't even reshoot stuff they just cut scenes like early and it really changes the way you see laurie and i don't know for me a maybe it's just because her being so distraught and angry in the director's cut it was just so not fun to watch i know it's a very superficial thing to say but it's just like it's just so hard that every time she's on camera i just know it's going to be a screaming fit of fuck you i fucking hate you you guys are fucking pieces of shit and i just knew like it's more that rob zombie dialogue which is not my favorite and then when i saw this theatrical for the first time i thought it worked better that laurie was on the road to recovery when the theatrical Halloween 2 starts. And she's doing pretty good in that version. And it isn't until she finds out that she's Michael Myers' sister that she breaks down completely and kind of turns into the lorry that she is the entire time in the director's cut. And for me, in a storytelling angle, I kind of like that where you see her, she's on the road to recovery and it's actually going well. And then it took a little key of her past to make her crumble back down. To, in the directors, I just felt she was over the edge the entire movie, and that moment didn't really land as hard for me. I, I think, to to your point, uh, specifically about like how she's handled in the theatrical cut, I think that you do like I, I think that's the reason why we got that that specific cut because like the cuts that they make in the theatrical cuts are just bizarre. Like it, it's it is shaped early enough, like nothing's like altered, like it's always like cut early enough before she kind of has that meltdown and the scene like very early on where it's like her and Annie at breakfast, like it's cut early enough before she kind of has this like explosion. Exactly, yeah, yeah, that's what I was thinking of specifically. And like I, I think they handled it really well. But I feel like if you want an honest portrayal of what it's going to be like, like you're going, this is, this is a lorry that is like damaged to the point of, you know, extremity. Like, yes, like we, we saw that kind of explored in H2O and we'll, we'll get to talk about it here in just a few minutes for 2018. But I think that here you have a, a lorry that because of this event, not only is she tattooed up, not only is she now like, it's kind of hinted that like, she's she's into like maybe, different music and movies too she's like a whole different like her, her taste in pop yeah, culture like and she's also like a kind of like an anarchist slash like satanist it's kind of implored yeah um and then like also at the same time like she's a vegan now which there's a lot of interesting things that i think rob zombie brings and i think to the point of that we're getting ready to see like this this was such an extreme, brutal event that I think that you need kind of an extreme, brutal reaction to kind of uh, even that even that stuff out. But the delivery of like that revelation of, oh, no, I'm actually Angel Myers, like that completely crumples her world. And I don't care what cut you watch or what cut you, sure. you fight for. I think that it's handled with like grace and honesty, which is something that... I really embrace zombie for doing that. Like he's not just being like, Oh yeah. Like this, you know, imagine being told that you were related to like Ted Bundy yeah, or exactly. that you like directly, you know, you like, were... like your brother was Ted Bundy, not even just like your yeah. distant relative. <laughs> yeah. Like it, it would, it would completely shape 
shake your foundation and like even how you perceive yourself. Especially after that, spending two years not even knowing why you were attacked by Michael. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, yeah, I like I hundred percent agree with all that. I think the reason I just gravitate towards theatrically is our discussion about the first movie feeling so hopeless that I feel like in the director's cut that hopelessness continues and. Mm. By in the theatrical, by giving her a good relationship with Annie and, Sher- and Sheriff Brackett, it gives me a little bit of hope as the viewer that there could be something good could to come out of this. Sure. But I, I just, yeah, it's the hopelessness of Rob Zombie's world that isn't my favorite. So I just, I really, those scenes of, of her hanging out with the family and being happy in the original really did a lot for me when in the other cut, it's just like, fuck like there's not a sec a shed of sunlight coming in that movie it's like no. everything sucks all the time and it's hard to watch but it is realistic so i under- i totally understand your point of view on it yeah and that, that's kind of like from someone that like I, I won't say that like i've ever like gone through like a traumatic event that laura goes through but like i was hit by a car when i was uh 16 so it's like for me like there are certain aspects like a year later that like damaged me to like walk to like, like be in like certain spots because like it triggered that uh, event to come again. And like, even like there are certain like movies for like a long time that like, if I was in a traumatic breakup in high school, like I couldn't watch for a long period of time because like it was, my heart was attached to that particular thing or catalyst for so long. And also being in car accidents, like I couldn't, drive certain roads because like it was a, it was too much of a trigger and Absolutely. so i think that it's not the most pleasant movie to watch and i think that that is definitely why for for so long like i was like man like what i hate the director's cut because like laurie's like so whiny and like to your point like you know it's it feels like really helpless and, and hopeless and like why would i want to like indulge in such a heavy movie yeah. and i think that like being a cinephile these last few years and like getting deeper into the horror film the films that like i've gravitated towards are the films that like i want to see you know, be honest. And I want to see, like, if you're going to embrace realistic circumstances, like, show realistic, like, uh, repercussions. And I think that Zombie captures those spectacularly here. And one scene in particular is the therapy scene between um, Laurie and Margaret Kidder. Yeah. Margot Kidder's character. And she says, um, you know, he still lives in your psyche. That's why you're still in recovery. Yep. And I think that that film, this film embodies that one line so incredibly well. Yeah. And the one line, or not one line, but one section cut out of the theatrical that I think really hurts it is I like that she says in the directors that um, the reason she always lashes out at Annie and Sheriff Brackett is because she can't help but be reminded of that night by looking at them. And even though they're the two people who love her the most in the world, it's not going to help because they're too tied to that memory and that trauma. And I think that's really interesting. And they kind of cut that out of the theatrical. So that, that, that I think is a nice deep moment that could have been kept in. Yeah. And I mean, don't get me wrong. Like this film, I, I hold this film high regards. And when we get to your rankings, I think where this film lands in particular is going to surprise a lot of people, mm-hmm. including yourself. But, you know, the, the it's interesting the way that we kind of get to see everyone relate or how they react to the events of 2007 versus um you know annie's kind of like you know still damaged but like she also really cares about Lori. so you're kind of like seeing her the challenges of like her like struggling to like be there for her friend but yeah confide in her father about how like 
she's worried like that this is like this event like really damaged her and kind of like how her life was also uprooted by this the this this series of events yeah i agree it's it's pretty it's i i I didn't give this movie enough credit for a long time i always for years literally up until two weeks ago if you asked me what's the worst halloween movie i would have said rob zombies halloween 2 and uh i won't tell you where it is on my ranking now but i don't believe i don't I don't think that way anymore after rewatching all the movies. I I think it's a lot like Halloween six or like Halloween three, even the where like when it first came out, everyone was like, Oh, this is so gross. Like, I don't want to have this in, in my viewing. And now I think now that it's had some time to breathe and we're a little bit more aware and are a little bit more conscious of mental health treatments, we kind of give this film a little bit more credit than it, when it initially came out. I agree. And also, it did make some some controversial choices that, you know, I've repeated this six times already, but if at the time you thought this was Michael going forward, I could see you being upset, but now it's just a detour, so I don't mind. But, you know, we didn't talk about how Michael spends the majority of this movie unmasked. We didn't talk about how in, New York, in the cut that um, the, the director's cut, Michael actually talks. We didn't talk about the um, the white horse and the ghost. And I know a lot of those things rubbed me the wrong way the first time I saw it. But now a lot of those choices I kind of dig. But I don't... For me, I my thing with sequels is if something is seeded or at least you can make it seem like it was seeded in earlier movies, I'm more into it. So Michael without a mask doesn't bother me at all in this movie because he puts the mask Same. on when he kills. And that 100% tracks from the Michael from the last film. But yeah. honestly, the white horse stuff... Uh, I don't hate it, but the fact that, like, I'm sorry, they would have had to mention something like that in the first movie. It just seemed too shoehorned to then go back and be like, hey, Michael, I'm visiting you and giving you a white horse, you know, and like, it's stuff like that I didn't think really worked too well in the sequel because it wasn't seated, but... And I'll let you talk in a second. But the other thing that people really didn't like was Vane Loomis in this movie. But I mm. did like that because I think that was also seated in the last movie because unlike our Loomis, his Loomis quits teaching Michael to capitalize on his story and become a famous author. And I think that does lead into the Loomis we see in this movie. So I like almost everything except for the White Horse stuff. But I'll let you take it on those things I just talked about. It's almost like, and I was in that camp for a while where, like, when we did our podcast on it a couple of years ago, like, uh, specifically, Loomis was always the lowest point for me. And it wasn't until this last viewing that I kind of was like, I see what the point you're talking about where it was seated within the, the realm of the original one. And I'm 100% on board to, to this version of Loomis because, like, it stays in character with him. And it's kind of a little bit campy at times, but I think that Michael or Malcolm McDowell really, really pulls it off really well. And, you know, I think it, it kind of hones in on that realistic expectation that if you had a doctor that had a patient like Michael, this is 100% what you would have done. And I think uh, even other entries into like six, particularly, also kind of hints at the fact that like he was going to write a book. Like, this is not a new concept, and I think that, you know, this these new revelations that we kind of get to see and take place within this film worked really well for his character. For me, the white horse aspect of it, I think, works really well just because you're kind of, I feel like you kind of need, like, a lynch, lynching point to, like, really separate yourself and, like, allow Rob Zombie to be Rob Zombie because... Yeah. 
he just kind of felt like it was Rob Zombie, but with conditions in the first film. Yep. And I think a lot of that comes from the fact of, uh, you know, uh, the Akkads kind of like, these are the things Michael can and cannot do. Yeah. And speaking and showing his face were always against that list. Yeah. And I, I think for, for, you know, if you remember the time period, like Rob Zombie's Halloween was a huge success theatrically. Big like time. it I, might I not there. have like landed with critics, but like fans and really liked it and like really drove to, and strives to make this thing a, a huge success. And so a sequel was inevitable. And Rob Zombie was like, I don't want anything to do with this. And I think uh, the thing that eventually made him come around was the fact that, like, he could legitimately do anything he wanted. Yeah, that's very true. Yeah, The White Horse, I think, for me in particular, like, I enjoyed this film because it, it explores a lot of Mikey, Michael's psyche, but it also at the same time, like, it explores, like, repressed memories and family trauma that I think the original 81 film attempted to do, but really failed at. Yeah. Oh yeah. So big where, time, big time. All that stuff that I complained about Halloween two, the original, this one does better. It's family wise. Yeah, like, like in Rob Zombie, like, don't get me wrong. Like it, he's got some brutal deaths in this one. Octavia Spencer. Right. Octavia Spencer's in this one. It, it's hard to watch her mm-hmm. like every time. Cause it's, it is brutal AF. I know people hate on that opening dream sequence, and I will agree, it's very long, but I do like that it's like a quasi-remake of Halloween 2. Like, you get like a 20-minute a version of a remake of the original Halloween 2. Yeah, and this film it definitely explores a lot better a lot better use of the, the themes in this film uh, than the second one. Like I said, like the, the white horse, I feel like, plants the seeds really well to make an, a really effective climactic ending between Loomis and Michael and Lori. No, I definitely agree. Um, so in comparing the two cuts, what we didn't talk about is there's two incredibly different endings in the two cuts. Yeah. Um, I want to hear your take, but I'll just tell you mine. And again, I've so far I've been team theatrical, and I'm still going to be. I think the theatrical has a better ending. Where do you fall? <sighs> yeah, I'm going to go with you on that one. I think the theatrical has a better ending where it's like a definitive the where like all three of these people died and I I hate it it pained me to to read some of the the taking uh shaped two chapters that were like right around this where they're like yeah we were trying to uh create a sequel while this was still in production and I was yep. just like hmm like they had really interesting ideas but I think here with the fact of um you know insinuating the ending with uh in both films, they have the same ending where you kind of see Lori in the padded room. Yeah. I've always been really intrigued by the idea of Lori taking up the mask. Yeah. Um, that's why I really enjoy the theatrical cuts ending over the uh, the director's cut. And uh, that's something that the comics actually explored where, like, they did a, I think it was a 25th anniversary or a 30th anniversary comic, one of the two. And it was a one-shot. And basically... Uh, like the shape returned and then at the last like couple pages of the comic it was actually revealed that like it was actually lori the entire time oh wow that's pretty cool and i feel like this film kind of set up that thought for like a third film and i would have been interested to see what a, a rob zombie halloween 3 would have been but he would go on to do third uh lords of salem which 
I know is also polarizing. I would say it's his magnum opus. I haven't seen However, it. However, I'll be honest with you. I, I think that the ending for this film in particular, um, especially before we even get to the end and the shack, mm-hmm. the uh, the director's cut so much better for the death of Annie. And not only that, but also Brad Dwarf's performance is just like top tier. Yeah, they... Um... Um, they they yeah they cut it differently in the in the theatrical version where yeah you, you don't they get actually much. add in Daniel Harris like home movies into the director's cut that just gives it a whole new emotional like gravity that the theatrical cut fails to do yeah I I'll give you that I agree I agree there I like this movie uh as opposed to the original Halloween too also by having Brackett be more involved by he was the one who actually like put Laurie in the care of the Strodes and was keeping the secret I like that that ties him more into the narrative than the original Sheriff Brackett. Yeah, he's also kind of the uh, the the Loomis archetype in this one. Yeah, he is. Which I, I thought was really an interesting choice to make narratively, and I think it, it really works. Whereas kind of like the actual Dr. Loomis kind of feels like an outside force that we kind of cut to every now and then. But I think that, you know, again, it keeps with that realistic, like, expectation. Like, if you're going to, like, experience something of this, like, uh traumatic you're going to kind of see these events play out the way that this movie depicts them mm-hmm. yeah agreed just overall ple- really pleasantly surprised by by this whole one with the with the director's cut ending i mean i just think the story works better with laurie there's that moment where she pretends to she calls michael brother and he puts his knife down and then she's tricking him and she stabs him but then she emerges wearing his mask where it's almost like she got really close to the line and we don't know if she actually crossed it or not. And like, you know, like I think that's some more ambiguous ending as opposed to just having all three of them die. Plus again, back to part four, while in the director's cut, when Michael's getting shot by all the police, it's definitely filmed a million times better than four. Still not my favorite. And I don't really see the point in having him talk. And if he's going to talk, he's going to say the word die. I just don't find it. (laughs) You know, it's that's back to my Rob zombie writing where he's not the most subtle (laughs) writer of all time. Yeah. Like, I, I don't care. You can make Michael talk if you justify it. But, like, you know, if anything, the 2018 one puts way more emphasis on people wanting Michael to talk. There wasn't really a lot of that in Rob Zombie's movies. So it didn't seem like it was building up to us hearing Michael finally speak in any way, shape, or form. Yeah. I, I also, like, just a random trivia fact for this one that kind of has to deal with that ending is um, if you grew up in the 90s, like... <laughs> Like Andy and myself, then you notice that there's probably a very familiar face in this last act, and that is none other than Bill Finger Blake, who plays one of the sheriffs and is also the voice of Patrick Starr in this movie. Oh, is that who that is? Yes. Holy crap! I didn't realize it. I mean, I I, I know him from as Dobber from Coach, the, the classic sitcom from the '90s. But yeah, he's also Patrick Starr. Yeah, that's awesome. I didn't realize that was him. Yeah, I, I love that about this movie. He's also uh, one of the victim's dad in Jennifer's Body. Really? But he, he embraces, like, he actually speaks in the Patrick Star voice, and he's like, I'll cut off your balls. <laughs> but it's like Patrick saying it, and this one he has, like, a different accent. So you Damn, can't really see it. I gotta I'm just rewatch like, it. I, I, I never caught him. I mean, again, I've watched this one the least, so oh, that's hilarious. I didn't realize that. Just want to throw that trivia fact out there. Nice. But yeah. 
Um, and also, I was hoping that the celebrity cameo in this movie would help me figure out what year it took place in, but they picked Weird Al, so that means it could be anywhere from 1980 to 2020, because <laughs> Weird Al is like, you know, he's been famous for so long, it didn't help me narrow down what year this movie took place in. It's also weird that this place takes, that this movie is supposed to take place in the 90s, and yet you have like the scene where Loomis is watching his uh, Chris Hardwick interview. He's like watching it on this like plasma screen TV. And I'm just like, how is how is this like one scene like the anomaly to like your entire time construct? And it just yeah. completely derails everything. I had a problem with both movies. I just couldn't really figure it out. And it, it wasn't really consistent. But uh, yeah, because for a second I was like, oh, my God, Chris Hardwick's playing himself. And then I was like, wait a minute. It's 2009. Most people don't know who Chris Hardwick is. He, I don't think he was famous enough yet to play himself in a movie. So then I, no. then I realized it said like so-and-so's show on the on the screen. And I was like, oh, he's playing He's playing a character. He's not being himself. It's not a cameo. <laughs> and then, uh, I mean, I don't have much to say about Michael because it's since the same actor and everything. I lo- I really like it. But I got to say, I will. I am a detractor in the camp of Michael screaming when he's stabbing people and grunting. Mainly because he didn't do it in the last movie. I would have been fine with it if Rob Zombie had him grunting from the very first movie. When, like, when Michael's stabbing people, you hear him go, ah, ah, in this movie. And uh, he didn't do it in the last one, so that was my biggest problem. Where I was just like, I don't care if you change Michael, but you got to commit to it. And that didn't—I didn't buy why all of a sudden he grunted every time he had to strain in this movie. Yeah, I mean, there are things that like Rob Zombie like hints at in the second, the first film, but like definitely like elevates them here because like that's a great example. Like even when he's a child, like he doesn't like slice Ronnie's neck and grunt. Like yeah, he kind of does it with Judith. Like, that's the only argument oh, yeah, I can yeah, make. Yeah, that's true. But, like, also, like, the rabbit in red stuff is also, like, elevated here. Yeah. And that curb stomp is probably one of my favorite deaths oh, in any. Dude, I, I'm, I'm so, so trained to know that the camera's going to cut away. And then when it didn't, and it's, like, it was so well done. Like, the, the switch out of the, du- the double and the person, I was like, that is brutal. I'm here for it. <laughs> I was great for it. And uh, he's, that, that actor particularly has gone on to have... Uh, a more predominant role in Rob Zombie's next two films to follow this one. Oh wow, interesting! I gotta check that out. So. Oh my god, are we are we gonna move on to the as of now as of this recording the final installment of Halloween? Yes, it is as of right now. Holy let's let's jump into it, man. We are now gonna go ahead eleven years to twenty eighteen with the third movie to be called Halloween. Written by David Gordon Green, Jeff Fradley, and Danny McBride, and directed by David Gordon Green. And even though I don't normally talk about the cinematographers, I actually know the cinematographer of this movie, so shot by Michael Simmons. And it nice. is starring Jamie Lee Curtis, Judy Greer, Andy Matichek, and James Jude Courtney as The Shape, with a couple of special guest appearances by Nick Castle as The Shape, which is fucking awesome. He was the original. And the plot this time is... We are ignoring every film in the entire franchise except for the original Halloween. This film picks up 40 years after that movie. Laurie Strode has spent her entire life preparing for the day that Michael will attack her again. And she allows this obsessive behavior to negatively affect her family, relationships, and personal life. All right, dude. Now this is Halloween 2018. One of the biggest dry spells in, the, in history, 11 years. I don't know if we've ever gotten that long between Halloween movies. No, I I don't think we we had. I think this is the longest that we've ever gone. I truly thought we might never come back to it prior to 2018. 
Like I, I had faith, yeah. but it did, it had been so long, and we never, you know, we never really left the remake world. So I was just like, are we gonna ever see a new one? I, I I really like I'm I'm torn on this because like after reading Taking Shape two like I kind of liked some of the remake ideas that they had like to do a third chapter in that world, yeah. but I have such a, a high reverence for part two that like I was completely okay coming into this one and knowing that like the team behind this was like Danny McBride and David Gordon Green. John yeah, the Carpenter's. guys behind like um, Eastbound and Down and Vice Principals. Your, yeah, Your Highness, like yeah, uh, Pineapple Express. Like, I, I was, I was here for that. Like, I was, it was really interesting to me, especially like living in a world now where you get like comedians like Jordan Peele doing Get Out and yep. Us and John Krasinski coming in to do A Quiet Place. Like, this just kind of was like fascinated me to kind of see non-horror directors step into this I agree. kind of storytelling. I've, I've always had, I've always said comedy and horror are my two favorite genres. And while they're so different, I always felt that they feed off the same impulses because getting scared and finding something funny is a very impulsive behavior. And it's very hard to telegraph, like, you know, like you have to be very good at knowing how to do both, how to scare yeah. someone or make someone laugh, as opposed to writing a really good drama where you could just like be like, wow, that's, that's, that's a very good story, but scaring someone and making someone laugh is it's a very different art. And it's cool that we're seeing that blending like comedians doing that. Yeah. And I mean this one too, like um, the little kid that the best friend babysits, like yeah. he's probably like one of my favorite parts in this film that like the first time that I saw this in theaters, it was the first horror movie to bring me almost to tears from laughing so hard. Yeah. And he he's one of my favorite like ancillary characters in the whole franchise, I think. Like in terms of characters <laughs> who only have one or two scenes, I think he's up there as one of my favorites. One thing that really I think differentiates this one from every other franchise though is I think this is the first time where it wasn't the studio going, we need to bring Halloween back. How can we do it? This was the fans who were the writers of this movie going, I love Halloween. Let me see if I can convince the studio to let me make a version that I think would be great. You know, that's never happened. It's always been the studio going, oh, crap, we got to make another Halloween. Who can we hire? And th that's what makes this one a little bit different, that it was almost like made by the by by people who are genuine fans. Yeah, and there's there's such a great call outs in this one too, um, to like previous entries where like the cops at the end that end up like getting um like their their throat slit and kind of like, you know, decapitate it, like that particular one I feel like um is a great uh callback to Halloween two. They have the the silver shamrock masks in this one. Yeah, I, I think there's a visual time. I think there's something you could connect to every installment. Like, you know, like yeah. we talk about the bathroom scene. I think that's very much a, an homage to the H2O bathroom scene. Yeah. And this, this, and you could tell that like, this is genuinely made from fans. And like, this has now been a linchpin for kind of like really resurrecting a lot of other franchises. We're a couple months away from a uh, scream coming back. Uh, the fifth installment also just called scream, but we're also like Candyman. Candyman too. That is an exact. That is that is Candyman too, mm -hmm. but it's called Candyman. The way this is Halloween yeah. too, but it's called Halloween. And also, it, we would be remiss to not mention um, the grandfather coming back as well, Old Man Leatherface yep. from the Texas Chainsaw, straight to Netflix series. Well, yeah, movie. that's true. And they've already actually done it once. I don't know if you've seen Texas Chainsaw 3D, but that's a direct sequel to Texas Chainsaw yeah. Massacre. It, it ignores all the sequels. Uh, that's another movie, a lot of problems, and I love it. <laughs> it's 
Uh, same. It's like, so stupid. I, I had such oh. a blast with it. It's what it's like my second after part two. It's my second favorite sequel. <laughs> but we're not talking about that. It's so fun. Anyways, yeah, yeah. But I think that this film does a lot of those things extremely well. Yeah, and it pays homage to like what it what it has come before it. And I love the one of the lines that I love so much was was also featured in the trailer was, you know, they wanted to put out right in front. You know, oh, isn't there like a um? Aren't they like? isn't it like her brother or something? And it's like, Oh no, that was just something that like someone came up with. Yep. Yeah. Like they, they basically were like dismissing it. Like, yeah, no, no, that's just some kind of like someone else came up with that. That's not the real story. Yeah. I love coming back to the fact that they're not brother and sister. I think we've already, I love that storyline, but we've beaten it to death at this point between Rob zombie exploring it and H2O exploring it. There's nothing left in my opinion. 100% agree. And I also want to, um, <laughs> so this is a funny story that I, I came across during listening to a podcast that, uh, one of the very first, uh, conventions that this James Jude Cord who played Courtney, who plays this, uh, shape, mm-hmm. obviously we mentioned earlier, the, the teeth with the podcasters yeah. is one of our favorite scenes. It, he left his booth at a convention to go get lunch and he came back, and uh, underneath of his, like, we'll be right back sign, there was just a pile of teeth. <laughs> oh, man, that's crazy. Some some crazy fan put it there. Yeah. That's amazing. He's like, I still have no idea where it came from. And I was like, great. <laughs> oh, man, that's oh, that's brilliant. But, yeah, this was um, – now I'm a, I'm a strict anti-trailer watcher these days. Ever since Fast 9, that trailer, I was so furious after I watched it. I saw I'll never watch a trailer for a movie. I want to see again. So I truly haven't seen a frame of Halloween Kills. Like I don't, I don't know anything about it at all, except the casting Same. news. But I was still watching trailers when when this came out, and I do remember that teeth scene in the trailer got me so hyped. Where I was like, "Holy shit, are we about to get like a, a sequel to Halloween?" You know, and <laughs> it's like it, it felt it was it was cool. The hype on this one was real for me. Like I was like, "Jamie Lee's coming back." They for the first time since Halloween three, John Carpenter's back. You know, he's did brand new music with his sons i don't know about you but i listen to john carpenter's like i love that he doesn't make films anymore he only makes music his albums that he puts out with his sons are great yeah lost themes is probably one of my top five favorite albums of this year um i i own the first one on vinyl i really love him as a musician yeah um and i for him to come back to like oversee this project and also bring back Laurie Strode and Jamie Lee Curtis. I was just like this, this anticipation for this one was real. Yeah. yeah. Like this film being delayed last year with COVID like hit the hardest because this was, um, this was probably my top most anticipated film of this year coming into 2020. And now that we're like less than two weeks away from it, like it is, the the hype for this is just very real with I me. know um and yeah I'm so excited we talked about it. this is we've never had a filmmaker besides Rob Zombie return to follow up their own story so like you know whether or not it might we might not like where they go with it but at least it's it's the reason I love Chucky we all it's always Don Mancini's vision and I love to see someone follow something through as opposed to just pass it along to the next person yeah it, it makes a, a film viewing experience more authentic and I, I think that the fact that you had Carpenter and Strode back and that you were having 
almost kind of like consulting meetings between the two. Yeah. Like makes this film feel very authentic and kind of carries that with it. Um, it helps. I think it helps. I'm, I'm a big fan of what Jason Blum has been doing. And I link him as a producer yeah. was great because he really knew to let them make their own movie. Yeah, it is. It's honestly, it's just it's fans. Yeah. Um, making these things because like when you like listen to interviews around the time of this release, like you can hear like how big of fans like both McBride and Green are like they truly have a reverence for this. And I think that like I think for the most part, like we've never had a someone since probably like Rosenthal or even like Wallace. I don't think we've seen anyone with a reverence to this capacity no. take over the directing chair not even rob zombie i mean like we talked about he he wanted to make his own movie like he felt trapped you know like making halloween it wasn't he loved it but he wasn't he wasn't it wasn't like this like these these guys were and like i said they pitched it which is the first time ever where the filmmakers pitched the studio not the other way around and i never realized you know i love hearing the different iterations of our classic halloween theme but until i heard brand new john carpenter music accompanying michael myers on screen i didn't know how much i needed it it was a treat to my ears i yeah. I, mean, I don't know how you feel but i love the new scores like everything they came up with that that fucking noise of the the violin bow hitting the electric guitar when it goes I, I can't do it but oh it works so good no for me. like i i 100 agree and like like her granddaughter running throughout like the field and just kind of the music that accompanies With the mannequins that. and stuff yeah and yeah stumbling upon the mannequins like that's probably one of my favorite scenes musically speaking just because it is so haunting and like pairing that with the visuals of like the mannequins and like the darks and also the trauma of seeing oscar killed i feel like just works really well like it's just such a uh trajectory sequence that green and carpenter crafted extremely well yeah agreed um so good um i also man i like the like i kind of like the idea of like a 60 year old michael i don't know why but before he's masked up in the beginning i was i was like i'm, I'm getting weird like don't breathe vibes out of this old man killing people i really like this <laughs> and I was like, like i'd like to see those two go head to head 60 year old michael and that guy <laughs> Yeah, stuff that you don't expect, and he does it really well. Yeah, um, like, it's like he's very menacing, but not in the lumbering tank way that he was in Rob Zombies. Like, he's still big, but he's not, like, an unstoppable behemoth, you know? The fact, yeah, the fact that, like, it's it coming from, like, an unpredictable source the way that the original one did, I think really helps the terror of this film work really immensely well. Mm-hmm. So where do you fall? I know one of the most divisive parts, uh, story-wise, of this one is uh, the new Doctor, Doctor Santane, or or Numis, as people out on the internet call him, New Loomis. He's he's Michael's new Doctor, and then there's a twist where he's actually like obsessed with Michael and ends up being the one who frees him from all that stuff. Where do you fall on that? He was okay. My issues with this film kind of fall in like the line with like the third act, where like. There's so many homages that the movie becomes predictable because yeah. like if you're a huge fan, like you already know how this sequence is gonna play out. But like he was interesting. Like I think that if we would have kept going on the trajectory with Loomis and had Pleasant stayed alive, eventually we would have had a level of 
that kind of commitment to the character to where like he would have grown obsessed and because he almost kind of grows manic in like his last couple performances like five and six but I, i think that like sartain just kind of feels like a natural progression of like five and six yeah yeah i agree and i'm i was with most people where the first time i saw it it did feel like it came out of nowhere and didn't really pay off too much but the more i watch it i kind of do like it and i don't hate the idea of like michael not randomly escaping where like you know this guy basically unleashes michael for a social experiment like he lets him break out because he wants to see what happens and Michael, you know, under no circumstances in this movie is ever hunting Laurie down and only gets to Laurie because that doctor brings him there again or plans to bring him there as part of a social experiment to see, like, what would happen if he sees his old foe. And I don't know, I find that, like, an interesting angle to take as opposed to Michael being like, I need to go find Laurie. I will track her down and kill her. Like, I, I kind of liked it. I, I, I didn't... It's, it's a little it's a little hokey, but I, I, I don't hate it at all. Yeah, same. I, I kind of... Like I said, I, I didn't have like really too much performance, like too much issues with him. I think you needed like that uh, Loomis like stand in, yeah. Because like it, there. What makes a Halloween film I feel like really thrive is obviously you need that Laurie archetype, you need the Loomis archetype, and you need the Bracket archetype. And yep. all three of these films, the this film in particular has all three of those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Agreed, agreed. What do you think of some of the the real? Because they have some really deep fan references they have some blatant ones and they have some real deep ones some of the real deep ones i love you know i love that cameron is lonnie's son lonnie's the little boy from the first one lonnie get your ass away from there like like i love like you know unless you really have seen the first movie a million times you have no idea who lonnie is you know so it's stuff like that i I like again that fan angle where they they, i like when they don't go too deep of overindulging on it when they just do little stuff like that and also, too, like, making those nods, it really allows that feeling of small-town suburbia to feel more authentic. Because it's like, if we were going to progress 40 years, there has to be some ties to the original one, even if it's going to be something like Tommy Wallace or uh, Lindsay or, uh, you know, Lonnie. Yeah. Um, and another thing this movie does is it somehow manages, even though it's the 11th fucking movie... It's still managing to up the stakes because my first time watching it, when Michael kills the little boy who likes to dance, we've never seen that before. We have never seen Michael physically manhandle a child down to death. We've even tried to kill kids, but the movie's never had the guts to do it. And I just love that I was still able to be surprised by Michael Myers in what is essentially part 11. Yeah, it's a, that's a brutal part right there where it's like, oh, well, he's not going to go after a kid. Yeah, we've been like, trained to know ooh. that like, oh, he doesn't do that to kids. Like, Or at least if he does, we're not going to see it happen. Surprise! Here it is. <laughs> yeah. And then that paid off later, too, because he doesn't kill that baby. But I remember thinking, fuck, he might strangle a baby on camera because I already saw him kill like a, a 10-year-old kid. You know? So like, it really helps me. Like, It helped me get way more scared of Michael than I have been in the past. I think that's a, that's that's a kill they're they're saving for uh for for part uh two here. I'm yeah, probably. <laughs> it um, just opens up on a baby murder. Yeah, in an homage to Halloween two, him walking through the neighborhood and basically like going to that same old lady's house where he gets the knife in Halloween two and kills her with the hammer. Uh, yeah. I think that tracking shot it's a beautiful homage to the first movie. I love it. I just there's a lot I like about this movie. There's there's one part in particular that like it. It didn't dawn on me, like, I could be reaching here, but, like, the imagery of, like, him killing Oscar, who is dressed as the devil in this movie, kind of, to me, like, 
just him looking out at Andy's character signified that like he is more evil than the devil and like all the warning shots that like Loomis ever gave us like is real and like I just kind of got harkened back to like I knew hell wouldn't take him like I just got like those those that speech from part five like really that scene particularly like I feel like was just personified in that quiet moment yeah, uh, I I never thought of that, but I love I love that take. And even if it is reaching, I don't care. That's what art's for. It's to t- draw your own <laughs> conclusions. So even if even if David Gordon Green didn't mean for that, that's fucking awesome. So having after ha- heaping all this praise, I gotta say the one, you know, no movie's perfect. I I definitely think the biggest drawback story wise for this movie to me, and I think it's just the weakest part is Karen's husband, the dad in the family. I just feel like the writing on this guy is not good. I think storyline-wise, he really plays... He not only doesn't help the story, I think having him there is actually takes away some of the emotional impact for me. This is clearly a story that's very interested in being a story about generation, a generation in families and how trauma gets passed down to generations. So you can completely tell that story with Lori, Karen, and uh, Allison, the granddaughter. So you don't need the dad there at all. And then when he dies in that last section of the movie, they don't give anything to Karen. There's no emotional moment where she even acknowledges that her husband's dead. She never asks where's her husband. Like, if you really think, like, you know, you're married, I'm I'm engaged. I know how much Masha means to me. If I was in any situation where our lives are threatened, I would be so worried about her. And to me, it almost cheapens the end of this movie that we even have the dad there and he dies and the movie doesn't give a shit about it. The characters don't give a shit about it. And I just feel like the story would have been strong. She could have just been a single mom. And it even could have been written in a way where maybe they were they did have a happy marriage, but it was having Laurie Strode as a mother-in-law that drove him away. Like maybe it was like, yo, I can't live this life where your crazy ass mom is barging in and locking our doors. You know what I mean? And it could have yeah. added to the strain between Karen and Laurie. So I just I really don't like the dad character. Every time they try to make him funny, I don't find him funny. And I think he's actually hurting the overall story. I can definitely 100% see that and agree with that. I think that he's definitely a hindrance. I think the only reason that we're given him as a character is to kind of like normalize Karen, kind of like emerging like a phoenix out of like this life of trauma with being Laurie Strode's daughter. But I think for for the most part, like she's trying to be like a normal, you know, mom raising her kid but she also has like all this baggage that's like kind of in there but like i totally agree like the movie just doesn't really care about him they don't put weight on his death yeah nothing yeah he just kind of seems like an overall like hindrance that like i truly could have done without him in this movie if he took it away it would be the same exact thing yeah because he does he provides comedic relief but we have enough of that in the movie between the cops eating banh mi's between the kids making guacamole jokes like there's enough humor and 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 uh the young boy who's getting uh babysat there's enough humor that i didn't need it from the dad because there's literally the scene when they're in Lori's house and they still don't know where allison is and they should be by all accounts so scared like michael myers is back out their daughter is missing and they're locked in a house and this fucking idiot is playing with a yo-yo in the window and i'm just like what kind of father are you like you're you're literally ruining the story because they thought it would be funny that this guy is goof uh, the kind of goofball that plays with a yo-yo and I'm like, your daughter's missing. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah, no, 100%. And I I like the actor that plays him in sure, like other yeah. things. 
Um, I think the rental last year, he was really creepy in that. But, like, here, he just kind of seems, like, misplaced, especially because, like, to your point about, like, the the use of family trauma in this, that last shot of the three of them in the back of the car, not only being an homage to Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but also at the same time, the fact that, like, this film is primarily focusing on female trauma of the Strode bloodline. Exactly. Yeah, it's like I just I didn't need it, so I, I don't I don't think it ruins the movie, but it's just um, I like when a movie, in my opinion, is this good. I I I always harp on the few things that are just holding it back from me being Same. like I yeah. can't find any problems, you know. Like I I liked a lot about it, but that was a big hit. Um, before we jump into the Michael and the mask, do you have any other final like just stuff to say? No, I think this film handles it really well, and like it it definitely felt like a beautiful course correction. Uh, to the series that I feel like though we've gotten some entertaining injuries, a serious thing like like redirection before we go the reboot route again because Jason Blum's already said that he's probably at some point gonna reboot it after these t- two these two movies. I think they very well should too, but I do love that we're get we got this before you know God forbid Jamie Lee Curtis passes away or John Carpenter passes yeah. away. Like it's I think it's invaluable we got this one while everyone is still alive working you know like just oh, i love it and it, it also feels very timely because like this the the time that this comes out especially with like you know everything that has come to surface about harvey weinstein like this is definitely the me too slasher movie yep. of this generation yeah even like having um i keep forgetting his name you've said it three oscar like even you know in a lot of other movies his like nerdy nice guy antics would have got him the girl and i like in this one allison is like no fuck you just like you can't now just get with me because i'm not with him like i'm not an object you know and like in all the other movies it would have been like a nerd kind of like fantasy of like oh she breaks up with a jerk and then comes to me because i'm a good guy and it's like no you're kind of a bad guy for a different reason because you're preying on my vulnerability you know so yeah it is it is very like of the me too era but not preachy or badly written because you can very easily do that kind of stuff to the hindrance of the movie and I don't think that happens here. No, I think it's it's really well and like it has some like really great kills throughout the course of it too and just yep. it it really reset itself and just like this is the Halloween movie that I feel like we've been missing out on for all of these years. Yeah. And uh just to just to go on top of that, I got to just say I love the Michael Myers and I really like the mask. So I'm on board with both of those as well. I think every, like Michael's on camera perfectly in this movie. Yeah. Same. Courtney does a great job in this one. Even like the calls to like with, with Nick Castle, I feel like also just does a a really great job and kind of like that sequence in particular where like he puts on the mask for the first time is just one of the most chilling perfect moments this movie has to offer I lo- yeah oh i love it yeah the music it's 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 up there for me um so yeah i gotta i gotta give it nothing but praise and i am so excited for halloween kills like i'm i'm like masha wants to see it too but i told her sometimes when we want to see a movie together our schedules don't align and we have to wait a week or two i told her you can see it with me but i'm seeing it open in weekend and either you're there or you're not but i'm gonna be there <laughs> like, yeah. like we're, not, we're not gonna wait till next weekend when you know if you're not free because i i'm fucking you know, as far as I'm concerned, we were supposed to get Halloween ends right now because they 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 said it was going to be kills last year, ends this year. But I'm I'm on yeah, board. I'm ready for it. Holy I've God! Got my ticket already, so I'm just so ready. Josh, this has been a marathon, my friend. <laughs> yeah, just, I just can't believe good, we just finished 11 movies. We're not done yet because we still have the Almighty ranking. But yeah, let's uh, 
Let's rank these bad boys. All right. Well, how you want to do this, man? So I think it would be fun to go best all the way down to worst. I know we've kind of already played our cards on those, but I still think, you know, you, you might suck me, but most people I think would pick the first one. So let's let's start best to worst. And uh, I will start with my number one is and always will be Halloween 1978. I just, we heaped praise. It's Carpenter's my favorite film. It's my favorite horror movie. I, I'll never, it'll be very shocking for me to go over this one. Yeah, same. The uh, this movie also is my number one. is my um, is my favorite film of all time. Nice. I love this movie. It is it it is a lesson in not only terror but simplicity. That like you know we talked about like you know Halloween three and Halloween six. Like you know you get into these like really convoluted, comp- complicated like uh, story arcs, and it's like well that's not what Halloween is. Like Halloween is just like this like simple, terrifying story about like someone stalking babysitters in the suburbs and that's what makes this film incredibly effective agreed agreed yeah i kind of figured that's why i wanted to start with the number ones because it's pretty obvious what we were gonna pick and (laughs) it's not fun to build up to the obvious choice um so josh we'll we'll take turns going first so now you tell me your number two (sighs) this is where my controversy comes in early I, i have a feeling what you're gonna say but say it Rob Zombie's Halloween too. I knew it. <laughs> I, once, you know, the, once I heard you talking about it, I knew you were gonna rank it that high. It uh, it, so it actually like I've always ranked it like between like three and four, and like on this like rewatch, like I'm just like taking notes and like just like jaw dropped, like how much I like was connecting with these characters and like this is the movie that like out of every other one of these except for the first one that I've seen the most. I revisit the most. I just I think the performances in this one are so freaking solid. It's a great entry and it's a great anomaly for this series. I'll give it to you, man. Like I, I already said it. I was one over completely. I went from ranking this dead last to you'll see where it is. But um, yeah, I, I, my opinion changed drastically on this movie. Um, all right, my number two is Halloween 2018. For everything that we just said, I. It was, it's the perfect follow-up to the first movie, in my opinion. Um, again, it's not a perfect movie, but out of all the sequels, I think it just captures what I love about the first one so much. Sure. And to the end of days, I could always feel fine showing people Halloween 78, Halloween 2018. My biggest problem with it is the fact that it's fucking called Halloween. I do not like this trend in horror where we do a sequel, but call. I hated it when they did it with The Thing. I hated it when they did it with Candyman. I hate it when they do it with this. Just think sure. of something else to call it. Uh, it's just so confusing. Um, it's one thing to do a remake, but to just call a sequel the same title, I'm not a fan. But other than that, I love this movie. Yeah, my number three is also Halloween 2018. This movie, nice. for a while, was my number two. And then, like I said, like I just, I've watched uh, Halloween 2 twice in the last six months so it's like wow it it rose significantly for me um and just kind of you know you like what you like man like and oh, kind of sure. like i mean it makes sense with, like, with everything victims and villains is about it it's a hundred percent makes sense why halloween 2 resonates with you yeah i'm kind of tired of like like trying to like be like the the responsible horror fan be like oh yeah like well i, I enjoy uh no, halloween no. It's, 81 it's, like. and it's the reason I'm why we like, could no, admit man. halloween 2 original is not our favorite you know
uh yeah so like i don't know like i i've had to like really come to grips with like my own opinions and like not aligning with like public opinions uh-huh as yeah, it's funny. As the, the internet's a, a, a scary place full of bullies. Sometimes you just want to say what everyone else likes because it's easier. Yeah, and I'm just like, man, like I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna like what I like, yeah. and uh, you know, I think that that's that's the reason why like Halloween two is like is as high on my list as it is. Um, but like like I said, like Halloween three for every reason that you just mentioned is Halloween is is number three on yeah, my list. Yeah, 2018. Yeah, 2018. I absolutely adore this movie. Um, I've come back to it. I've come back to it quite frequently since it's uh. 2018 me too release and every time like there's there's great like little moments like the little kid that the babysitter and like uh like the bomby sandwich like whole thing like there's so much to love about this and i think it really progresses the 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 story forward and like sets it into like that original continuity that we had from 78 I think it does a cleaner job of establishing like Lori's trauma than H2O did, where it was a little yeah. bit jarring. So yeah, I agree. That was your number three, you said, right? Mm-hmm. All right. My number three is Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. I love this. I love this motherfucking movie. I'm sorry. It's so wild. <laughs> it's like, it's... It's probably the most fun to show people, I gotta say. Like, it's just, it's so out there. I can't get enough of it. And um, musically, I think it's so good because it still has that Carpenter music, but it's not trying to emulate Halloween. So it's like, it stands out to me so much than the other sequels. You remember that conversation we had at the beginning of the podcast about stepbrothers and like how we quickly became friends because yeah. we, we like a lot of the same things. So uh-huh. my number four is also Halloween <laughs> 3. Nice. <laughs> For all the reasons that you've just said, I, I've shown this to so many people over the last few years and like every one of them are just like, where's Michael Myers? And I'm like, there's no Michael Myers. Like just embrace the weirdness and like, I've never had one person complain about this movie. Yeah. It's like, you can, even if you don't like it, you're going to remember it. You're going to go home and yeah. you're going to talk about it. Like, it's like one thing or the other. Oh, that's fantastic. All right. Well, my number four is now we're going to divert a little Halloween H2O. I, I love the return to form. I love the post scream aspect we talked about. And even though tonally it may not make sense for the character, I love that final act. I think that to me is one of the best. I just watching Laurie and Michael duke it out after twenty years was is the most satisfying fanboy stuff in my opinion. Fair enough. Halloween H two is a little bit lower on my list. Um, I couldn't separate myself from like a couple of the the criticisms I had. Oh, of course, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I I definitely think it's a definitely a strong entry into that series. And yeah, and after series. yeah, it just seemed like such a. a focused attempt after four five and six where there was clearly such a lack of focus like what to do that it yeah. just felt it just felt refreshing like after the mess of six to to, to get into that so yeah that's my uh my four um what is your number five five is halloween for the return of michael myers i love Jamie Lloyd in this it has some truly great gags. Uh, I think the story progressing, picking right up where the second film left off. There's just so much that I really enjoy about this film. Um, it, I don't know how to describe it, man. Like it's just it's a great entry into the the film. Yeah, and I think that it 
it's has a, great ideas, might not always execute them well, but it's it's a really good good time. And I, I put the series back on track. I always appreciate yeah. those that like the ones that uh, quote unquote saved the series from who knows what, uh, like you know just just not being made anymore. Um, my number uh, shit. What was that? Five. My number five is Rob Zombie's Halloween Two. So it has jumped from eleven to five in this in this last All ranking. Right. Um, I uh, everything you said, I did out on it. Um, I liked it a lot. I just I had a few more problems than you did, but you know those are just personal uh, differences. But yeah, it that's the biggest change this time in my ranking. Halloween Two jumped up real high. It uh, it holds a five star for me on uh, Letterbox. So. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I'll, uh, since you, we already talked about it, my part six is Halloween for the return of Michael Myers. So I like it a lot Did that one got bumped down this viewing. I, I used to like it a lot more. Um, but it's just, as we get more and more special entries, that one becomes a little less special in my eyes. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. I, uh, I will also say that for my number six, I am specifically talking about the producer's cut because H six is my number six on this one. Got it. I, I, the the theatrical cut is so much of a mess, and it's it's significantly lower on this one. But for this particular ranking for love, what I love or fear, what I fear, I'm going to put the Curse of Michael Myers oh, at number six, just bold because. Choice. Paul Rudd, Donald Pleasance, the last last performance we ever got of him. Yep. Uh. The Man in Black, The Cult of Thorn, like so much about this movie is like it just has like ballsy ideas, and I think that for the most part they execute them really well, and it's paced really well. It's just such a fun exploration of this character and mythology. Damn! All right, I give it to you. I I will say my ranking when when that one does come up will be the theatrical cut, just because I have yet to see the producer's cut, um, so it will be a slightly different. But um, but yeah, man, I respect it. I respect that choice. I like uh it's definitely controversial in the grand scheme of fans, I think. <laughs> but that's great. Um, how do you have your number seven ranked? Uh H2O. I really liked H2O. I like I said, it's it's um LL Cool J, say no more. One of the um, best also, characters. We didn't, we didn't even say the on screen first time ever of Janet Lee with Jamie Lee Curtis. Oh yes. Fantastic. With that amazing the car from Psycho and the score from Psycho when she walks away. So it's yes. almost as if she's playing Marion Chambers all over oh, not Marion Chambers, Jesus. Uh Marion from uh, uh Psycho. Yeah, I uh I really enjoyed this film. It's it's a it's a absolute blast. It it's it really has that scream energy that I think that that I love so much about the original scream. They even watch scream. They even watch scream two in the movie. Yeah. So yeah, that's my H two O is my number uh, seven. It's a little bit lower, mostly just because of the last act. But again, yeah, fair enough. Has great. Uh, it does it does a lot of good things. So I'm not gonna complain on it too much. My number seven is the original Halloween two. Yeah, you know, I like I, I like a lot about it, but it's just not special enough for me to get higher. Um, I love that the filmmakers. I like, I love Dean Cundey. I think he's a great cinematographer, and like he truly tried to recapture Carpenter. But you know, there is something to the auteur theory out there that there are certain directors that just make films their own, and certain who don't. And like, it's just missing whatever that Carpenter magic is that I've yet to be able to put my finger on. Yeah. But I dig a lot of it, so it's 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 right in the middle. So this one dropped a lot more. I I used to have this one way higher than Rob Zombie's Halloween too, but not anymore. 
All right. My number eight is also Halloween 2. Um, some pretty significant uh, sequences in this film. I love the imagery of Michael crying blood uh-huh. in single streams. Yeah. Um, some of the deaths are just downright brutal in this film. And I just, I don't know. It's it's a fun little film. It's it's far from perfect, but it's it's a good film to come back to like every like five to ten years. Yeah, it works, and it's it's a fun way to like continue that first movie. You know, it's not as good, yeah. but it's not so bad that it like shits on the legacy. It's it's a it's a solid follow up. Right, yep. So that that was your eight. So my eight goes to Rob Zombie's Halloween two thousand seven. I have tons of problems with a lot of it, but the stuff I do like, I I do enjoy. I like Malcolm McDowell as Loomis. I like the angle of taking Loomis away from being like a Van Helsing-esque monster hunter to being a more kind of realistic, like vain person who writes a book as opposed to puts on a coat and a gun and, and runs through the night hunting monsters. Um, and yeah, I just, I, I enjoyed enough angles of it in the second half that saved the stuff that I absolutely hate, which is the dialogue and the family in the first half. So it's low on my list, but not quite. I don't think it's like trash. Uh, mine's a lot lower. <laughs> Fair enough. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, you, number... you can wait until it's on your list if, if you want to talk about it when we get to that number. Yeah, my number nine is Halloween Resurrection. All right. And, uh, I fought really hard and went back and forth with which I did not like, which I liked more H or, uh, 2007 or Resurrection, and after our conversation, Resurrection jumps for me. <laughs> it's not great. It's not a good movie at all. It, no. it has so many tonal problems, and it's really predictable, but it's so much fun, and it has so much nostalgia attached, attached for myself. So, like, it's it's number nine on my list. I absolutely kind of low-key like this movie. I won't say. I feel like love is too much of a word. Yeah, yeah. It's too strong of a word, but it's a, it's a, it's an absolute blast. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Um, my number nine is Halloween: The Curse of Michael Myers. Oh. Basically, what I said before. I'm going producer's cut. I mean, uh, uh sorry, theatrical cut, and uh, it makes no goddamn sense. I enjoy it, but it's just like you. Can't, I can't make heads or tails of any of the fucking plot in this movie, <laughs> and it ends so unsatisfactory. I just couldn't put it higher. No, I uh, from from the. It's been probably like five years since I've seen the the uh, theatrical cut, and I remember kind of coming to my senses and being like, "What the heck is this?" Yeah, like, come on, man, we can do better. And also, yeah, and in the grand scheme of Michael, I prefer magic to not be involved. I don't mind that we have an angle where that happens, but if I'm really boiled down to it, I'd prefer when it's not. Um, so yeah. I'm, it's a little low on mine. Um, what is your number ten? Halloween 2007, Rob Zombie. Yep, there it is. <laughs> yeah, this this movie is it's like <laughs> polar opposite. Like, I, I like some of the deaths in this movie, but like, there's no likable character. Like, even like the most like redeeming character, which is Danny Trejo's character. Yeah. Just again, hopelessly, brutally murdered. I know. Like, like, I don't even know why they wrote all that backstory of him being nice to Michael when there was just like. No, like you know what I mean? Because if the idea of the movie is you're shaped by your environment, like the people who are nice to Michael still like get the same thing, yeah. you know? Like, yeah, yeah, you're right. I don't know, like, and and definitely, like, after like talking to you and kind of like, kind of like understanding like the lower, um, just 
dialogue of this movie, but also at the same time, like a lot of like the behind the scenes like issues with like the Akaz and like it needing to be like a certain way. Like there's such a conflict of interest in its final product yeah. that like for me it just it is one of the lowest points for me to consistently revisit. And yeah, the older I get, the less I like this movie. Yeah, this was the one where, like, normally, like, because like Marshall works from home, so we yeah, we have a little office next to our living room. And if I have the day off, like, in a lot of t- if I had the day off, I'd be watching these movies to get ready for this while she's at work. And normally, I had no problem keeping it on and just like, yeah, whatever. If some sounds bleeds through, but like when it came to Rob Zombie's Halloween, I truly waited till she wasn't working because I was like too embarrassed for those like those words to be coming out of the TV. Like, like if she's in a meeting just to hear, like, I heard they squeezed the cum out of her dead stomach. And I was just like, I don't, I don't even want to like, I'm embarrassed that people can hear my TV. Like that's how bad some of this disgusting, filthy yeah, dialogue 100% was. 100% agree. So it's like, yeah, it's, it's really hard to revisit. And it's, this is the, like, in terms of showing people them, it's probably the last one I would ever do just because I don't even want to be like, this is what I love. And then it's like, so gross that, that like, all of a sudden I got a stigma on me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, nope, not about that. What do you got for number 10, though? My number 10 is Halloween Resurrection. I'll be honest, watching it with Masha was very fun, but I hadn't watched it with someone in forever, and I don't have that same level of fun if I'm watching it alone. I, I, it's just, it's, it's a great movie to show somebody for the first time, but once you know the silliness, it's not quite as batshit as like a Halloween 6 is in terms of batshit fun. Um, it's wild, it's crazy, and it's very funny in times, but it's it's the mix of just it's so the the tone is so crazy and I hate everything with Jamie Lee Curtis in it. I just think it's the worst the worst treatment of Laurie Strode. I just can't get over it. <laughs> I can't. No, one hundred percent agree with you, man. Like it, it, they just needed to like pick like do they want to continue Laurie's like thing storyline or like embrace the danger tamer? Exactly. Like you can't have both. Yeah, yeah. Or just do something to tie it together. Like I don't know what, just anything. Like just have someone from the insane asylum be in the rest of the movie. Like I don't know, but it's just it didn't do it for me. Um, but I guess uh, we can say at the same time what our number eleven <laughs> is: <laughs> Halloween Five, Five, The Revenge yeah. of Michael Myers. <laughs> Yeah, man. I mean, we we showed our cards early, but I I don't I don't want to watch this movie anymore. Like I do, like in terms of like I will, but I'm it's it's always gonna be like I'm gonna have to like be kicking and screaming a little bit to get through it. I would much rather just watch a YouTube like recap of this video. Yeah, go watch a dead meat kill count or something. You know, it's like it'll be yeah. better off. It's it's like, just it's no fun. It has almost nothing except for that one Loomis line and the garbage shoot or laundry shoot scene, which again, not yeah. even that great. It's just something. Yeah, a friend of mine, um, actually, like, a couple months ago, like, he came across and, like, actually bought H2O on tape, so he was like, I'm just gonna go back and, like, revisit, like, everything, Halloween, so I was like, okay, and, uh, so he gets to, he, like, he's texting me as he's, like, going through the series, and he gets to part five, and I'm like, I'm just gonna let you know that you're gonna hate your life for the next hour and a half (laughs) and he's like, he texts me, he's like, man, he's like, this is so boring, like, when's it get good, and I was like, never, yeah, Part six. That's what I guess. <laughs> oh, credits man, are the yeah. best part of that movie. What's that? So the credits are the best yeah, part of that seriously. movie. Yeah, seriously. Oh god, the movie stinks. Here, we'll do. We're gonna do a quick mask rank, but I think we can kind of run through this one a little faster. I, 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 I kind of feel like we already gave our thoughts on the masks each time. 
so uh, we don't have to like dwell on them too much. But I am just curious. We can just rattle through best to worst. Always got to go original for me. Number one is 78. I mean, it's 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 the mask that we're all comparing the other masks to, so I don't know how it could not be the best. Oh, go for I mean, it. This is, this is where I have controversial opinions. Go for uh, it. As much as I hate the movie, Rob Zombie's 2007 is still the best mask, in my opinion. Nice. It's a great mask. So, yeah. and I, I like I like the how in his story though it's like how oh, it's like an aged mask I like that too where Michael had it since he was a kid or he didn't have it, he found it since he was a kid yeah so yeah I dig it all right I'll give you that one um what's your number two probably the original one I think the uh the original mask just looks so so good nice um like you said like you can't beat the original um it's kind of the foundation for everything we've seen in this this series so far yeah agreed um my number two is 2018 i love the new mask modern michael mask it just looks so good what is your three halloween 2018 nice <laughs> my, <laughs> my three surprisingly is curse of michael myers i really like it okay i'm a, I'm a big fan i know it's not 100 percent accurate to the first one but it, i just i really think it works when it's on screen from the coloring to the everything yeah so my uh would it be up uh, four would be four? your next uh so halloween 2 would be my next one ah, for, for okay. rom zombies um i just i love the natural progression that his just look to his character continuously has yeah so it, you actually feel those two years pass um, and you kind of get to experience him as a vagabond. I think just the look of him and um, truth be told, like the the poster where he has the uh, the knife raised and he's kind of like in the cornfield. Like that's honestly my favorite Halloween poster of all time. Yeah, so it's I, really I awesome. really, really love this uh, this particular mask. Yeah, yeah, I dig that. I'll do my four and my five in a row because my four is Halloween 2007 and my five is Halloween 2 2009 um, for all the reasons you said. I do think they're great masks. I just happen to like the other two a little bit more, but I, I love what they did with both of them. So what's uh, your five? So my five is going to be Curse of Michael Myers uh, for the same reasons you said. I think that this film just lo it looks nice and, and crisp. Yeah. Um, there's There's <laughs> definitely like... In a very non-crisp movie, it looks pretty crisp. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't quite like. It kind of comes back to the first time uh, that we're seeing in like one and two, um, whereas like parts four and five just kind of feel like the biggest, some of the biggest disgraces when you're talking about masks. Yeah, agreed. So that leads to my number six original Halloween two mask. That's where I'm putting 1981. Yeah, I'm also gonna go um, part six, or sorry. For four, six, number six, I'm gonna go Halloween too. Um, I just, I, not only do I really like the shadowing of that mask, but just the again to bring it back up, the the blood drop, the blood tears are just amazing. Yeah, yeah, it looks it looks really good. I think it's maybe it's like his hair is almost like slicked back in it. I wonder if that's yeah. my problem with it. Like, I, there's something about it that's just not quite. It's kind of a, a symbol of the that whole movie of like. It looks like Halloween, but something doesn't taste right, you know? And it's like, that's how I feel with the mask. It looks close enough to the first, but there's just something. It's new Coke as opposed to Coke, you know? It's not It's not yeah. quite where we want to be. Um, my number seven mask, Halloween Resurrection. I think it's a pretty solid one. I don't think it's going to blow your mind, but it's it's definitely a step up from H2O and, like, pretty good. 
I'm also going to go Halloween Resurrection for number seven for everything you said. It's not a great mask, but it's it does the job better than previous entries. Yeah, yeah. Like after a bunch of bad ones in a row. Or six was good, but after either way. Um, yeah. Eight for me, I'm going Revenge, Halloween 5, the old long neck mask. Yeah, I'm also going to go that one because, like, obviously I've shown my cards, but, like, Halloween 4 and Halloween H2O are just two of the biggest problems for me so i guess i'll just show my hand now my nine is gonna be uh sorry part four and then my number 10 is gonna be h2o ah sweet switch mine but pretty close mine h2o is nine and 10 is uh four it's it's pretty bad h2o is a mess but four i don't know what it is it's just it doesn't scare me like i see that michael one thing uh, I, I forgot to mention, it's not that important, but um, t- a couple of years ago, me and Marshall went to uh, Universal Studios for Halloween Horror Nights, and one of the uh, haunted houses was a Halloween 4, The Return of Michael Myers, which I thought was crazy that it was specifically a Halloween 4 and not just like a Halloween haunted house, but um, it was fucking, it was awesome, and so like, you know, we watch these movies so much, Michael Myers doesn't scare me anymore, but when you're in a haunted house and that dude is standing right over you, I reverted right back to being a child. <laughs> um, but I still remember being a little like a little asshole on the, on the thing. A little asshole. It was like two years ago. I was like, I really hope they don't use the Halloween 4 mask. And thankfully they didn't. They just used like, masks you can buy at the store. So it looked great. But um, that haunted house was so scary because they had very short girls playing the clown version of Jamie holding the scissors. So like oh, around geez. every other corner, it would either be Michael or a Jamie like trying to kill you. And it was horrifying. But yeah, anyway, I don't know why I just thought of that. <laughs> but yeah, my, those are my last, my worst ones. I think for part four, what makes it like such a terrible mask isn't like necessarily the fact that like the eye holes are so big, but it's the same reason for part, uh, for part seven and H two O is that like the eyebrows just seem like really expressive. Like, yep. Part four just always looks like he has something to say. <laughs> yeah, and it's always gonna be a quip. <laughs> he does. Yeah, it's that and just the, the whiteness of the mask. I just find it to be the, the starkest like white that I've ever seen. It just doesn't. It's not for me. Yeah, one hundred percent agree. Holy Toledo, Josh! This was here we are. Yeah, here we are. And any listeners who are still here, <laughs> you got a gold medal. You guys are great. But yeah, man, we we just love Halloween. We had to talk about it. We're so hyped for Halloween Kills. We might do a bonus episode here on Love What I Love, reviewing it. I mean, I know Josh will be reviewing it on one of his many podcasts as soon as it comes out, so you can hear both our individual thoughts on this. Oh, but, yeah, um, it's coming. Yeah, Josh, before we get out of here, why don't you tell the folks one more time where they can find you, what you're doing, and uh, just what you got going on. Sure. So you guys can uh, find us everywhere. We are at Victims and Villains. And you guys can go to victimsandvillains.net where you guys can find all links to our social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Twitch, and YouTube. Uh, you guys can also uh, there find podcasts, movie reviews, and most importantly, our mental health resource library. And we're also going to be uh, doing the October 22nd through 24th of this month twitch.tv forward slash victims and villains you guys can not only hear us but love what I love a collection of uh, other podcasters gamers and uh, short horror movies uh, coming together to do 48 hours of mental health awareness and to raise money to get mental health resources into places like comic cons film festivals after school programs and more 
yeah i'm very excited to uh to be a part of that and thanks for inviting us me and masha it'll of be course. our first it'll be our first live love what i love so we're we already had a whole meeting planning what we're going to talk about we're pretty excited I'm I'm excited to hear what you guys come nice. up with. Yeah, I don't want to say it here just in case we change our minds. So <laughs> we're, we're not we're not set on it yet. Um, well, all right, folks, thank you so much for listening to this franchise deep dive in the month of October, where we are increasing our output over at Love What I Love because we are now fear what I fear the once a year time where Masha cannot complain that I am indulging in my horror movie love. So until next time, I hope you fear what I fear.